at this moment, in 2012, two guys on the phone somewhere understood what was going on still. There was enough <laughs> human thought left that there were critics, conspiracy critics, parapolitical analysts to uh, remember what it was like to, to be human. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> is that carrying it too far? <laughs> My goodness. This is dark, folks. <laughs> Oh, man. One major thing to say to everybody, lighten up. <laughs> lighten up, you know. In addition to how heavy all this stuff is and, and, and dark and all that other stuff, you are a human being kind of stuck in the absurd situation where you have to deal with it. Right. That's funny. You know, I mean, to the point that it doesn't crush you or kill you, it's funny. And, and your job is to escape it, you know, find some humorous way uh, to, to get back into reality, you know, where you can enjoy the Super Bowl, you know. <laughs> where do you think you go when you leave this mortal coil? Are you asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you. <laughs> <laughs> You're the parapolitical icon. Come on, give me some insight here. <laughs> Uh, where do you go when you die? Calm down, Tim. <laughs> is, It'll be okay. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. That's why I got you on the show here to help me out. <laughs> okay, look up. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. What is going on, my friends? This is Tim Banal of BanalofAmerica.com, with another edition of BOA Audio Season 7. I hope all of our awesome American listeners are having a fantastic 4th of July. Hopefully this episode reaches you in time to enjoy the program during the holiday, especially all the folks out there. I know you're out there listening who have to work during the holiday. Hopefully, BOA Audio can help alleviate some of that drudgery. And I have a feeling that it definitely will because we have got an absolute barn burner of a program for you, my friends, this week on the show. Our guest is legendary parapolitical researcher Ken Thomas, who joins us for a jam session that covers not only the world of conspiracy theory, but so many other realms. Here is a veritable hit list of some of the stuff we're going to be talking about. We'll be discussing the field of parapolitics as a whole, the story of Ken's doppelganger, the JFK assassination, conspiracy theories surrounding Osama bin Laden's death, Sirhan Sirhan's latest legal defense, the explosive and expansive growth of personal technology and what it means for the human race, the faltering of space exploration, Ken's longtime friendship with Timothy Leary, the legends of Fortiana, the military-industrial complex, and we're even going to explore one of the most pondered questions in all of human history, what happens when you die. From parapolitics and UFOs to futurism and spirituality, this is an engrossing 
fast-paced, and really darkly comedic conversation with an icon of esoteric research, Ken Thomas. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the legendary Ken Thomas, allow me to provide you with a little background on him. Ken Thomas has authored over 15 books on various conspiracy topics, five devoted to the JFK assassination, including NASA, Nazis and JFK, Mind Control, Oswald and JFK, and Maury Island UFO. For over two decades, he has worked as an archivist for a Midwestern university while developing his interest in parapolitics, an idea often dismissed in mainstream media as conspiracy theory. Thomas has for many years edited and published Steam Shovel Press, a magazine about the global conspiracy culture that coined the motto, All Conspiracy, No Theory. His most well-known book, The Octopus, Secret Government and the Death of Danny Casillaro, helped expose the Inslaw scandal of the Reagan years, a conspiracy involving a super-surveillance software and backroom deals between U.S. operatives and Mideast terrorists. Thomas tours regularly, lecturing at venues as varied as conspiracy and UFO conferences and academic panels on alternative media, and he is often tapped as a conspiracy expert on TV and radio. Ken's latest book is titled JFK and UFO, Military Industrial Conspiracy and Cover-Up, From Maury Island to Dallas. And you can find out more from Ken at the website www.steamshovelpress.com. Pretty simple, all one word, steamshovelpress.com. Check it out. And with all that said, my friends, let's get down to business and rock and roll. This interview was recorded on April 17th, 2012. The legendary Ken Thomas joins us for a jam session covering parapolitics and much, much more on BOA Audio Season 7. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of BOA Audio Season 7. And I am really looking forward to this conversation. What you don't know yet, folks, is that I've actually been talking to the guests for like the last uh, five or six minutes and just have been enjoying myself tremendously. And now it's time to bring all you in on this. <laughs> he's the author of 20-something books. As I was saying earlier to him, he's like he's like Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan puts a song out on a soundtrack somewhere. You have to, like, track it down. He's like that. He writes introductions that are amazing for other books. He's got – he's amazingly prolific. Oh, What's oh my God. What a setup. <laughs> Uh, sorry, he, sorry, Bob. He said that. I didn't. <laughs> Bob, if you're listening, get in touch. <laughs> he is, of course, the man behind the legendary Steam Shovel Press. You can find out about all that at steamshovelpress.com. He is an icon of parapolitics. And for those folks who are not in the know, that is uh, conspiracy theory, my friends. And I'm talking about the iconic Ken Thomas. Welcome back to the show, sir. It's been too long. <laughs> Tim, yes, it has been far too long. Yeah, it's good to talk to you again. I miss my calling as a wrestling announcer, I think. <laughs> that was that was the biggest uh, setup that I've had since uh, Kevin Nealon nominated me for an Oscar for that TV show, the name of which has escaped me now for days. It's called The Conspiracy Something. Yeah. And yeah, he did the same thing. Uh, give him a round of applause as if he just won the Academy <laughs> Award. <laughs> this is a West Coast thing, right? All the hype, all the showbiz hype. I'm in Boston. <laughs> I don't know what. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. All right, well. It's all right. Um, 
So now we last talked to you uh, way back in February 2010, so about two years ago over that. So, what you know, let's catch people up. What has Ken Thomas been up to in the last couple of years uh, since they heard from him? Oh, my God, two years of generations and generations in, in our uh, in our culture, right? Where uh, uh, revelations per minute increase by the minute. Um, since all I can really tell you is what I've been doing recently, yeah, uh, and that's and that's probably going to skip over a whole bunch of things that I've been doing for the for the last two years. Uh, and uh, the most recent uh, thing I've been hyping lately is my latest book, which is called JFK and UFO: Military Industrial Conspiracy and Cover Up from Maury Island to Dallas. And um, of course, I'm, I'm still I'm still doing SteamshovelPress.com. And uh, I'm finding myself in various books. Um, Adam Rightly just did a book called uh, Happy Trails to High Weirdness. And I have a, I have a new essay in that mm-hmm. uh, about some strange uh, synchronicities in, involving uh, uh, JFK and uh, Jack Kerouac. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We and, just talked yeah. to uh, Adam, Adam on the show. So I actually... Uh, yeah, really? Did, yep. did he mention the Route 66 business? Or oh, he did. He mentioned that, yeah. He didn't mention the doppelganger story, though, and I'm going to ask you about that later on uh, tonight. Okay, great. That spooked great. me so, so, me. There, so there's that, and also I've, I've recently done essays on uh, uh, Skylar Alfregren's uh, lo-fi site uh, that's connected to the Maury Island case, and uh, uh, Robbie Graham, who is the, uh, uh, the, the Ph.D. guy who's been kind of monitoring all of the uh, science fiction and UFO movies that are coming out and kind of contextualizing them all. I uh, wrote an essay uh, for him about the old 50s movie Earth versus Flying Saucers and how that was a, a reflection of what Wilhelm Reich uh, was doing in the Tucson desert in the, in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that's up, up there online uh, to be had. Yeah, so you got, uh, you've, you've been yeah. doing a lot of cooking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, it was like I was saying before we went on the air, this, the, the metaphor, the central metaphor of what I do, Steam Shovel Press, which, by the way, comes from a Dylan song. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this story, but it's from uh, uh, Like a Buick Six. That's right. It takes a steam shovel mama to keep away the dead, or again, I can't even remember the quote. But the <laughs> idea was, <laughs> the idea is, uh, it, you know, the accumulation of data over time, You need I needed to create some kind of, you know, metaphorical thing to push the data off the desk and out of the brain, and uh, totally failed at that. Because <laughs> the more I do it, the the more data there is, the more information there is to uh, uh, to analyze and to, to try to understand and to, and to put out for other people to help me understand that kind of thing. That's right. The desk just got bigger, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, I, I, this is kind of a good jumping off point, I think, because uh, I was I was talking about this with Adam, and you know, as I said, you're an icon of uh, parapolitics, and so. Well, bless you for saying Wow. It's the truth, my friend. Uh, and so what better man to bring this sort of, like, problem uh, I've been having lately uh, to? Ah, <laughs> uh, girl troubles, huh? No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, here's the well, thing. What is it, my son? Uh, you know, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to substitute in conspiracy theory here, folks, uh, for, for just a, for clarification, I guess, in, in, the law, in the broader sense. And that's sort of like... I find myself looking at, at the whole milieu of the esoteric that includes, you know, the paranormal and parapolitics. And I've noticed, at least for me, it's like the paranormal at least kind of inspires this hopefulness in a sense. You know, that there's something else out there that, that you know, is 
could really uh, help us transcend into something better, let's say, you know. It inspires hope. Right. But, you know, right. with parapolitics, it's like the opposite reaction. It's this, it, it really, <laughs> in, it, for me, it inspires despair. It's like, what's the point if, if all of this is unfolding around <laughs> us? What's, you know. It's all just another plot. Right. Okay. Well, I can understand that. Of course, you know, the, uh, the prefix para just simply means running alongside. Mm-hmm. And what paranormalism and parapolitics both do is run alongside the normal or uh, the political. And you're right. The picture of uh, the political culture that you inevitably get by doing this kind of uh, research and writing is is a very depressing one. It's all about assassinations and manipulation and uh, uh, and that kind of thing. But but more depressing than that would be if you never had a discussion about that, what's going on. If you never had a community of people looking at it, trying to understand it, talking to each other about it, exposing it, to me that's a very positive process, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, uh, it, and, and, and I've met so many people who are creative giants and extremely intelligent uh, people. I mean, you can't, you can't really understand the culture that you live in if you don't understand its dissidents. And, uh, uh, and you can't have a dissident, of course, if you don't you can look at your political culture and say how depressing it is and how it shouldn't be that way and how uh and, you know and how we're going to move beyond it interesting yeah i see what you're yeah. saying you know yeah yeah so so yeah you know i, I mean I, I, i've been getting that for years you know ken you're so negative you're so <laughs> you don't seem negative depressing. at all thing <laughs> well, that's the idea. You know, I mean, that's the point is that, um, yes, I am bringing negative things uh, to your attention, you know? Yeah. And kind of like, though, in partnership, you know, saying, see this, see this, isn't this not right? And, you know, shouldn't we we make something of it? I see your point. I, I just can mm-hmm. grow concerned about sort of an end game scenario where it's like, I don't see how we can get out of this mess we're in at this point. You know, we're not talking about, like, you know, the villagers being upset with uh, the king or something, where where there's 50 of us and one of him. You know, this is this thing's grown out of proportion, I guess. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I mean, it does seem kind of lame that you know, once you've you know talked about uh, the Kennedy assassination, you know, JFK, RFK, uh, Martin Luther King, all that kind of stuff, just to tell people that you know, well, what are you going to do? Vote. You know, voting seems kind of lame, actually, although everybody should do it. Yeah. Uh, it's really only the kind of the first uh, step in uh, uh, trying to take care of what the problem is uh, or, you know, to redress it in some way. Uh, so, yeah. I know, remember Robert Anton Wilson had a little, I wish I could remember this little ditty that he, that he used to say about... Uh, uh, drink your beer and let the neighbors vote, <laughs> you know, and, that, <laughs> and that's, uh, I think it was actually Yates that he was quoting. Um, uh, and there's something to be said for that, um, uh, because we're coming into another political season, right? And our choices are Barack Obama and Mitt Romney. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'm a, uh, in many ways, I'm a big supporter and a big fan of Barack Obama. But on the other hand, he's also like appeased the Wall Street bankers and uh, really dragged his feet in a lot of ways that uh, people, you know, uh, found him to be very disappointing because of that. But on the other hand, you know, Mitt Romney is is uh, kind of the visible representation 
of the invisible powers uh, that uh, you know we've been deconstructing all these years. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how all this shakes out. Yeah. All right. Well, you've, you've talked me a little bit further back from the ledge, so nice job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, shoot. <laughs> Well, you know, we'll get into more general uh, conspiracy theory talk in a little bit, but uh, this thing's on my mind here because we talked about Adam's book uh, and I mentioned the doppelganger story. Can you just tell this story and let's let's sort of like dive into what the hell you make of it? Because uh, I'm I'm just completely baffled by it. Uh, okay, this is this is my doppelganger. Yeah, your doppelganger. Is, uh, yeah, this is. <laughs> Does he have that in the book? It's in the book. Yeah, the picture isn't, is unfortunately. Really? I hoped the picture he would does, be, but he does, it's not. He does not have the picture. No, but the uh, the story oh, is, yeah. and it blew my it's mind. Very, yeah, it's a very strange thing. And, and also, when you when you said doppelganger, um, mostly what I have in Adam's book is an essay about uh, uh, how the, the the strange coincidences of these Route 66 programs to the Kennedy assassination, mm-hmm. and and actually the final coincidence that's not even in that essay is that uh, there was an episode of Route 66 that was pulled uh, during the assassination because it had a uh, it, because it was about a political assassination that featured a, a, a doppelganger. And oh, the situation was very very similar to, you know, you know there were multiple Oswalds in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Well, there were multiple assassins in this 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 uh, TV show and it was it was removed. That story isn't isn't even in this essay yet. I mean, you're way ahead of the game getting that. But the story you're talking about is Charlene Finkner who uh, is this woman who I've met a couple of times, and I can't really, uh, uh, probably can't really nail both of the times, but I'm sure I've seen her, I've met her at least twice. And uh, she uh, uh, took a photograph one time, and she sent the photograph uh, to me, and uh, it's not me. It's it's Charlene, because Charlene is a very distinctive person. She's this big... uh, Beehive haircut and wears his makeup. It's you know she's a very distinctive person. That's why I remember her well. But the guy standing next to her is not me. But he's wearing. He's at one one of the UFO conventions. He's wearing a tag that says Ken Thomas, and he kind of looks a little bit like me, but he's clearly not me. So weird. So there's this guy going around claiming that he's me, and 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 this was like. You know, uh, does it have the date of the photograph? Uh, I don't recall uh, if it's in if, if that's mentioned in the book. But it was years ago, you know, and uh, who knows how frequently this guy's gone out there and has pretended to be me. And, and I don't really, you know, I don't really get the point. Is he selling books with my name? Uh, is he collecting data on my fans? Uh, it's weird. Now, what, I have no idea. Did she like talk to this guy, and he was under the guise that he was you? Like, or was it? It wasn't like some big joke, like in a sense where you know, like if I went there and put on a Ken Thomas thing, I look nothing like you. Something like that wasn't that. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't an open secret that that this guy wasn't you. The thing is, Charlene. Even though I, like I said, I've met Charlene twice, she had no idea that this was not me. Yeah, he was just sending me a photograph saying, "Hey, here's a photograph of us together." Uh, so she, you know, I had to, you know, I, I, I had to write her back saying, you know, that that's not me, Charlene. Uh, so yeah, uh, and and again, it was like years ago. So this guy had been presenting himself, and she had believed him to be me for any number of years. Um, I haven't. I hope. I hope Adam has more uh, details on the story than I have, because I, I I don't even know if I was at that. I probably was not even at that conference. 
No, you weren't at the conference. You weren't at the conference. You were like all the way across right. the country. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I so it's yeah, it's still a mystery, and and, and I'm, I'm grateful that Adam put it in the book because I hope if anybody has any idea of what that's all about, that they would let me know. Yeah, it was the 2000. No, this is. St- I got it here. It's the 2003 uh, Laughlin UFO conference. 2003 in Laughlin. Now, you know, I went to any number of Laughlin conferences, and I, I assume. Two, well, 2003, obviously, I, I wasn't there, or I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah, it's and, weird. And it's as far as I know, the guy still goes out to the conferences and presents himself as me. Yeah, I don't know why, you know. So if you run into Ken Thomas at a conference. <laughs> multiple Ken Thomases, just like That'd be great Oswald. if you ran into him, yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd have a lot to talk to. <laughs> talk with it. The guy about you know yeah notably like uh, how many books he's been selling yeah really and where's yeah where's my cut wow you can well you know you know Gallagher the comedian he he uh in order to cover more territory he like franchised the name Gallagher to his twin brother so maybe you could strike up a deal did he really yeah that's a true story is that right yeah <laughs> great well you know I, I I oftentimes feel like I do need to have you know somebody. Uh, doing what I'm doing at the same time I'm doing it because I'm always like running from conference to conference and uh, uh, missing appointments as you well know <laughs> oh yes oh yes this is yeah. our third take on this uh, show but so far I'm loving it so hey it was worth the wait yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so that's just so weird and I presume you know do you ascribe any sort of you know aside from whatever weird uh, you know uh thrills, let's say, this guy may get from impersonating you, if that's the case. Do you assign any sort of, like, nefarious thing behind this? You don't think this is, like, government sponsored uh, doppelgangery, do you? Oh, it could be. It could very well be, you know. Uh, my current book is about uh, Fred Crisman, who uh, who is suspected by Jim Garrison as being the grassy knoll shooter uh, of JFK. In the 70s, uh, in the late 60s and the 70s, uh, Chrisman went to UFO conferences. Oh, actually, in, in the 40s, he, he went to UFO conferences, and it, it's clear he's some kind of a spy. And it's, it, it, and it's, it's clear in the whole uh, history of, of ufology that uh, they send people out. I mean, UFO conferences are where people get together and uh, take on different points of view about the world that they live in. And some of it has to do with looking at the government, looking at the military, looking at you know, the advanced uh, technology and aircraft and being critical of it. Yeah. So they, you know, they they, they put people out there, you know. Uh, it could be that if they, if you know, if the intelligence world ever pulled all of its people out, the whole ufological culture would collapse. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I, I certainly hold it out as a possibility. Yeah. Very weird yeah. stuff. Well, I think we've already blown people's minds here uh, with that whole thing. Now... <laughs> To jump into sort of back to general conspiracy stuff, uh, in the interim time since the last time we talked, there was, uh, you know, I, would, I guess you could call it sort of a benchmark uh, event in the world of parapolitics um, in the sense that Osama bin Laden was declared dead and that whole thing happened, and I'm sure you have thoughts on that. But, I mean, how do you think, what do you think about how it all played out and everything? Because, I mean, there was a whole, you know, there was a slew of people crying foul about it. Um, and it was interesting to see well, it sort of through the prism of how the mainstream media presents things. Certainly. Um, 
Well, you know, for 10 years, Osama bin Laden escaped, uh, uh, escaped all the resources of uh, the United States government, Pentagon, military, uh, and uh, kept one step ahead of them, supposedly using the Promise software, which he purchased off the FBI turncoat, uh, Richard Hansen. Hmm. Uh, and he, he, the, 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 of course, whenever anything like that happens, you're, if you have a bent toward parapolitical analysis, you assume that it didn't happen, that they didn't really kill him. Right, that's what I mean. Uh, that was like the, uh, that was sort of the, you know, the right. frenzy after that. Right, right. Now, I don't have any information on in that regard. Uh, but, uh, one observation to be made is that they really cleaned up the scene quickly. And that seems to be kind of hardwired into the way things happen now, you know. No matter what happens, they dispose of the body at, at sea, <laughs> where you know there's no evidence, no way at all to to tell whether it really happened or it didn't. You know, yeah. So that's kind of a hardwired thing. You don't even have to be a conspiracy theorist to understand. They did the same thing after the Oklahoma City bombing. Uh, you know, after all of these major things, they just they you know they you would think that after all of this time, with all of these questions about major events. But the impulse would be going the other way, mm. to not uh, disturb crime scenes, to do what you can to preserve for future studies so that we can understand what really happened. But but no, more and more as time goes along, it's get it over with quick, get it cleaned up quick, um, that's so that you know, so that people don't answer questions, and that's you know that's that's inevitably going to make people more suspicious. So. Uh, I'm not surprised at all that there are theories that Osama bin Laden is still alive. There are theories that, you know, that, that, that he wasn't alive at that point, that he'd been dead for years, uh, that he was never really real. Uh, <laughs> you know, all these things. Well, he raised an interesting uh, point there as, as you were... Uh, oh, shit, I lost my train of thought. Hold on, that cough knocked, that cough knocked it out. Uh, let me. Well, that was easy, wasn't it? Um, well, let me let me let me tell you a story about um, uh, the the plane uh, the, the plane no plane business in nine eleven. Yeah, we went to D.C. Everybody mm-hmm. there who worked at the hotel saw the plane, but they also saw the. Uh, uh, the, the security cameras that, that took all the footage of the plane that still has not surfaced. Uh, so, you know, so there's the, there's the real question, you know, well, uh, if, if they, they, you know, if, if they don't want these conspiracy theories to develop, um, you know, why, why do they do that? Do they not release that footage? Why are they so quick to, uh, destroy every, any evidence of Osama bin Laden's body. <laughs> exactly. You know, exactly. If, you know, if, if they, if, you know, so you, you gotta think that in part all this stuff is being encouraged by the powers that be. That's exactly, that was the, that was the train of thought that, uh, had left the station and just pulled back in while you were, uh, while you were saying that. <laughs> is, right. it does seem to be that way, that maybe, you know, I've never, I've kind of heard this sort of idea applied to the UFO phenomenon, you know, endlessly, uh, with the government. You know, maybe the government really, you know, they seem rather inept in a lot of ways. You've, we've seen that from the Postal Service all the way up to, you know, the, uh, the FEMA thing, Katrina. It's like, so maybe they really would right. rather That's people... what they want you to think. <laughs> <laughs> it could go either way, I guess, right? You know, but maybe they well, want yeah, people yeah. to think that they're this, you know, that 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 a lot of these conspiracies are are you know that they're more powerful well, than you know, we think they are. Right. I'll be the first person to say that not everything is a conspiracy. Um, 
And it's clearly true, but not everything is a coincidence and, and not everything is, uh, well that was, uh, Robin Ramsey, the great, uh, uh, parapolitical writer in, uh, in England, the guy that published Lobster Magazine, made this point that, that things are, are, are one of three things. Conspiracy, uh, coincidence, or cock up. Which is a British term for just, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and of course, not everything is one of those things, you know. Uh, actually, most things are probably some kind of combination, uh, or one or the other. I mean, there's no, uh, you know, if it, w- if it was one single phenomenon, uh, this discussion would be over quickly. The real question, you know, and the real problem for, uh, uh, those of us who think about these things is, 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 you know, there's always a bunch of coincidences. Which ones are significant and why? And uh, uh, yeah, there are cock-ups. You know, that's that's how we know some of these things because you know things get leaked and things get screwed up. And uh, what was the other one? Coincidences, <laughs> cock-ups, and conspiracies. Conspiracies, right? <laughs> that's, the, that's the one. Yeah, that's the big dog. And so many of them are simply that. Are simply that. They are simply conspiracies. And uh, so the question becomes, uh, who are the conspirators? You know, what was being accomplished by this conspiracy? And uh, what would things be like if things were were set aright? <laughs> I can't help but laugh at that. I mean, what damage? What what damage did they do? For instance, in JFK, you know, uh, he would have pulled us out of Vietnam. Yeah. Right, you know, I mean, you gotta, you gotta understand that part of the, the Kennedy assassination. It's not just, gosh, we really liked him. He was so charismatic. Um, too bad they killed him. Uh, too bad that we had that disastrous war that, uh, killed so many Americans and, uh, kind of destroyed the psyche of the body politic. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It, it, you, you, you know, I guess that's as, this is as good as time as any, I guess, to jump into sort of the JFK discussion because, uh, he said, you know, a lot of new stuff seems to be coming out, or at least a lot of stuff, a lot of talk. I mean, we're going to be hearing about this, you know, for right. well, quite a well, bit. What do you think of that? You know, you're, you're right. People are kind of in anticipation. For instance, the Secret Service agent, Clint Hill, just released a book uh, about his uh, his life with Jackie Kennedy. And uh, and they made a big thing about this on the media as if it was a news thing, the idea that Jackie Kennedy, uh, when, when, when JFK is shot, uh, she's basically trying to recover a piece of his skull or a piece of his brain that comes out. I mean, we've known that for many, many years, but I've, I've actually seen that reported as, as the new news item that Clint Hill has just produced in his new book that he just released about his years with Jackie Kennedy. I'm like, well, where have you guys been? Yeah. We know this. But um, that is very interesting in that um, – it, do, it gives you an opportunity. You know, Clint Hill is a believer in the Warren Commission. I mean, here's a guy who was right there in the motorcade, and he believes all the shots came from the book depository. Oh, wow. Uh, and so it gives, it gives me the perfect opportunity to uh, tell people who, who aren't aware, you know, who, who didn't, who've never heard the story about Kennedy, uh, Jackie recovering the ring, to put your hands behind your ears. Put your right hand behind your right ear and your left hand behind your left ear. Uh, the shots that Clint Hill believed happened come at your right hand from above. The piece of skull and the piece of brain that Jackie retrieves is come, it goes out and down from the left side. So not only does Clint Hill believe this impossibility, so basically what he's saying is that the bullet enters kind of in the middle of the of Jeff K's head turns around and goes out the other side. 
uh, not only does he believe this nonsensical thing, but he doesn't even say things like, well, it may seem counterintuitive, and I know this sounds strange, but uh, <laughs> it's like an article of faith with him yeah. that uh, the Warren Commission was right because he's a loyal and true uh, Secret Service agent. This is what his government told him, and, and this is what he's going to believe. Yeah. Uh, despite, you know, everybody's the evidence of your eyes and, and common sense that Kennedy was shot from the grassy knoll by Fred Crisman. Well, you know, not, not everybody's going to go to the Fred Crisman, but certainly a bullet came from the grassy knoll. That bullet that, uh, that, that dislodged part of his skull and part of his brain that Jackie Kennedy was supposedly retrieving. Interesting, yeah. So, yeah. Well, it, it, you know, an, an interesting thing about that is that I'm often asked how I got into conspiracy uh, theory, mm-hmm. and it kind of starts with um, Lenny Bruce, actually, the comedy of Lenny Bruce. I don't know if we've discussed this before. No, no. But Lenny, Lenny used to do, uh, 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 used to point out when those photographs of Jackie Kennedy in the in the limo were first published in Time magazine. They were. Uh, uh, they reported that, uh, uh, basically reported, I think, what happened, you know, that she was, she was doing her best to, to recover a thing. And Lenny thought that was wrong. He thought that Time Magazine was presenting kind of a heroic picture of Jackie Kennedy. His famous line was, she was hauling ass to save ass. She was trying to get out of there. <laughs> uh, you know, which is, you know, from, from everything that Lenny had there in front of him, that's a perfectly, uh, right thing to, 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 to say, and it's certainly true that, uh, uh, that's what Time Magazine and mainstream media wants to present every, you know, all yeah. the great political leaders as, as great heroes. Interesting. But, uh, yeah, but that's, uh, and you can see that Dustin Hoffman does that in the Lenny Bruce, uh, in the movie biography of Lenny Bruce, and, and the way I got into conspiracy theory is that Lenny Bruce's, uh, quote, autobiography was actually ghosted by uh, Paul Krasner, and you know Krasner, who was the guy who published uh, The Realist for many years, um, a satirist writer, one of the yippies of uh, pals with uh, Abby Hoffman and so forth. And Krasner, you know, and once I read that about Lenny Bruce, I started reading Krasner. Krasner introduced me to the writings of Mae Brussel, of whom he was uh-huh. one of her, her many great protégés, along with uh, John Judge and Dave Emery. And so that's how I, you know, so you kind of pivoted from <laughs> this is a sick comedy of Lenny Bruce through Paul Craster to Mae Russell, the maven of conspiracy uh, uh, writers. Absolutely, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's some pedigree yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, now, do you think, you know, I've always sort of espoused the belief that this UFO thing will kind of come around uh, as generations go on in the hopes that, you know, more young people will believe in, in looking at this thing with a fair shake sort of perspective. As we come upon this big anniversary uh, of the JFK thing, do you think we'll have any, I don't know, any motion in that glacial pace towards sort of getting to the bottom of this, or do you think it's going to be same old, same old? I mean, you're saying they're already putting out stories like that, that are old news anyway, but, I mean, how do you think this is all going to go down and be portrayed? Well, you know, files, of course, are always being petitioned for and always being released. There was a big effort after the after Oliver Stone's movie. And there's a Washington Post reporter, whose, whose name escapes me now, but easy to find out, but who is still trying to recover a, a whole bunch of important files that having to do with the anti-Castro-Cuban 
uh, milieu that uh, Fred Krisman was a part of. Mm. Those, it's still sealed. Those records, specifically the ones that have to do with Krisman that my book is about, it's still sealed. And, uh, and why, you know? And yeah. certainly, you know, once they're released, new information, you know, may come out. But it's not going to change the basic dynamic, you know? I'm often, you know, obviously the book, the title of the book, JFK and UFO, brings a question around, you know, what does one have to do with the other? Right. And there are people out there that think that JFK was killed because he's about ready to expose what happened to Roswell. And it's, that's not what I say. You know, to me, that's kind of like the, the, the vulgar view of the point I'm trying to make. And that is that um, Kennedy, Jim Garrison, uh, one of uh, only a couple of people ever to ever bring a, a prosecution on the JFK assassination uh, uh, to the American courts, he believed that Kennedy was shot by Fred Crisman. The guy who pulled the trigger was Fred Crisman, who was mm-hmm. the subject of, of my book. And he believed that Crisman was in the employ of Boeing. Huh. Uh, you know, that it was all part of a, a kind of a military industrial complex and Boeing's little part is they supplied this assassin, uh, because JFK had given the contract for something called the Tactical Fighter Experimental to General Dynamics when it was supposed to go to Boeing. So Boeing's little contribution to the assassination was to provide this assassin. And that contract, the TFX fighter, which was the last thing that Kennedy ever spoke about, the last uh, uh, talk he gave at the, uh, uh, well, let's say it wasn't at the trademark, he was headed to the trademark, wherever he was he spoke, was about the Tactical Fighter Experimental, which eventually became... The F-111 of uh, fighter planes that were sold to Australia, and as part of the whole that whole apparatus, that's where they got the funding corridor that helped create Pine Gap, which is the Australian version of Area 51, the secret base that has this, uh, uh, you know, the connections to the to the well, yeah, in Area 51's case, it was a connection to the U-2, and then if you you know if you pivot from there. To an understanding of Oswald being someone who served at the Atsugi base in Japan where the U-2s flew out of and defected to the Soviet Union and gave them the information they needed to shoot down Gary Powers U-2, whose last job before the book depository was with Jagger Child Stovall, a photograph firm that processed U-2 film. If you understand that Oswald was a spy connected to the U-2 program and that the U-2 was created at Area 51. And you start putting together all these little pieces that we are, you know, getting that full picture of what the military-industrial complex is. This huge science fiction nightmare of assassins and mysterious advanced technology and possible interaction with, you know, alien and extra-dimensional forces and all that stuff. You know, that picture isn't going to change with the 50th anniversary. Yeah. Very weird. Now, what do you mean by uh, possibly? I mean, I've heard sort of the the theories and stuff, but uh, the fact that you alluded to it makes me want to ask you to elaborate more. And that's just sort of the, you know, the idea of the military industrial complex sort of at work with uh, some other entities of some kind, for lack of a better term. What are your thoughts uh, well, on that whole line of thinking? Well, uh, it's not really my my expertise, but it, you know, in, in actually, I was having this discussion with someone the other day about how the the Nazis. Uh, you know, were involved in occult technologies. Uh, and, uh, there are people like, like, you know, you know, John Judge, the guy who runs the Coalition on Political Assassinations, one of the, actually one of the May Brussels Sprouts, he believes that, that all UFO sightings are unidentified fascist observatories. But they're all connected to advanced technologies that the Nazis built. And the Nazis 
uh, yeah, you know, and, and the whole story of uh, Chrisman is, uh, is it's his connection to the Paperclip Project, uh, Operation Paperclip, which uh, you know brought all of the former Nazi scientists into our space program. Werner von Braun, Walter Dornberger, yeah. you know, the slave masters of Nordhausen that helped us go to the moon and created our great uh, uh, space program. Uh, those that Nazi technology has its roots in in occult thinking uh, that I don't particularly understand or know to any great degree, but it's not like, you know, after the uh, uh, surrender of the Germans of World War II, they just kind of forgot about that. Right. Uh, So it it all kind of went into the development of their technology. So they were believers in those, those kinds of occult things, which include, you know, Creatures, extraterrestrial presences, you know, uh, extra paranormal uh, things, you know. Yeah, yeah. So those, you know, those those are still extant. Very weird you know? stuff. It's, it's it, it, you know, like you say, politics, uh, you know, running concurrently, the the uh, the unseen politics. It's a scary sort of thing to think about. And scary when you yeah. know we find out more and more about it. You know, we realize. Uh, you know, we may not know what's going on right now in this day and age until like ten or fifteen years from now. It's like we're always trying to catch up with whatever the hell is going on behind the scenes. Well, we're always learning more yeah. and, and more, really, uh, about everything. You know, uh, sometimes it takes fifty years or, or, or more than that. Yeah. Now, lately, uh, there's been other stuff about the uh, the Bobby Kennedy assassination, and I think he's I think the uh, the assassin uh, has a new lawyer, and he's he's raising a lot of issues about the uh, the mind control aspect of all that. And I know I'm sure you've looked into sort of uh, the MK Ultra scenarios. And well, stuff of course, like yeah. Actually, I used to I used to have, I used to run into Marty Jeters, who was uh, at one time who was Sirhan's lawyer. I used to run oh, into wow. him and at conferences. Yeah, <laughs> he, he's. He's he's not the guy now. He, he's de- he's dead yeah. now. But uh, I used to, I used to make this point with him that uh, you know we know that it ha- that what happened with Sirhan has to do with brainwashing and hypnotism. You know we've got the we've got the diaries where he writes very hypnotically. RFK must die. RFK must die. And, and we know about the visits from uh, uh, was it Julian West or uh, uh, you know an MKL uh, MKL for Trigger Man who. Uh, uh, you know, gave him the word and, and kind of shut him up for years. But I said to the guy, this never works as a legal defense. You know, I mean, the, the, the truth in this case is not going to, uh, get him early parole or do anything. To try, try to sit there and argue that he was, uh, mind controlled into what he did is, is just not a sound legal strategy. And, uh, and that's, that's still true, you know, and if that's what the, the, the current lawyers are arguing, uh, Sirhan doesn't have any hope ever of release. Yeah, you know, I mean the only the only strategy that would work at this point is if Sirhan uh, uh, confessed to doing it and became contrite, and uh, you know asked for forgiveness. Uh, uh, you know, a truthful defense that he was brainwashed into would seem like like arrogance and defiance, and would just lead to a longer sentence for him. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just one tenet of the defense, but I see your point uh, that you're right. And like the the. People can't accept, people won't accept that in a sense. It's like it's like too mind blowing for them to really uh, to really give credence to. It's unfortunate. Uh, right, right. Well, you know, I mean, the law, <laughs> the law is the law. You know, and it's uh, 
doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the truth. I mean, I mean, the, the, the two large books out there that are defensive of the uh, the lone nut theory, which is so rarely held. You know, I mean, most people, ninety percent of the people that you talk to in this country, including the U.S. government itself, understand that JFK was killed as a result of a conspiracy. Two people who don't. One of them is Gerald Posner, who uh, uh, who wrote the book Case Closed and. Uh, uh, famously, of late, was uh, was fired from his job for uh, at, on uh, one of the uh, uh, websites, uh, uh, Cost or Beast or one of them, uh, for uh, multiple plagiarisms, and now works for the uh, brother of Hamid Karzai. Guy is totally discredited as a writer now. And the other one, who wrote 1,500 pages defending the loan not theory, is Victor Bugliosi, a lawyer. A lawyer dev- devoting all these resources and all of his, you know, uh, his brain power uh, to an indefensible position going on for 1,500 pages, you know, and it's rare, you know, not, not, not a lot of people do that. It's really stupid, and uh, uh, you know, if he, had, if he had a clear view of what he was doing, he, he would be embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, it's weird how. Well, it's. it's... I don't know. It's just kind of strange, too, uh, on a cultural level. And I think I talked about this with uh, our mutual friend, Greg Bishop, uh, back towards the end of the year. And that's like that, that, that there are these sort of accepted truths in society that are still never acknowledged, in a sense. You know what I mean? Like there was a conspiracy to kill JFK and that the government's covering up UFOs. It's like people generally accept this, but they don't – they can never really get over the hump of actually, I don't know, doing anything about it or, or – you know, well, the, well, the media, you know. the media does not accept it. You know, hmm. to to the media, all the people that believe those things are just crazy people who haven't listened to them long enough, <laughs> the, 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 the media itself long enough, and been brainwashed by, uh, uh, you know, standard points of view. But um, if, if there's something hopeful about the culture that we live in now, is that I, I think that's eroding. I mean, I don't think. I mean, how many people really do you know? Uh, actually buy into this dumb show of MSNBC on one side uh, with Rachel Meadows and uh, Fox Network with uh, Glenn Beck or Sean Hannity on the other. I mean, how many people really, and intelligent people that, that you know, and not, you know, not geniuses, just people with common sense and, you know, a certain amount of literacy, how many people don't understand that that's some, you know, false dialogue that's carried on nightly <laughs> yeah. in, in support of an utterly corrupt, you know, political system. You know, I mean, it's just, it, it's only too obvious. And, and you know, I mean, the, the the major networks that used to put that stuff out, you know, they've all faded, CBS, NBC, ABC. I mean, they're still out there, but, you know, they're gone. Uh, these These current news networks they're they're scrambling for for ratings you know the the real discussion uh, is on the internet and yeah. as much as they try to commercialize that and co-opt that uh it's still uh, you know uh, uh, more and more uh you know becoming uh, you know the way uh people handle reality or, or get get their news and uh uh, learn and grow from. Right, right. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. It's, it's strange in a sense because there's like two realities going on. It's like the real reality, and then it's the reality that the media is always that, that's present. You know, that the media is presenting to us. That's you right. Know. But my perception is that 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 reality, that media reality that they present, is becoming smaller and smaller all of the time. Uh, the durability of it, though, I mean, 
the fact that, you know, every city in this country still has a newspaper <laughs> kind of boggles my mind, you know? Yeah. I mean, these old pulp paper information storage systems things, you know? I mean, who, but it's there. It's not going to be there long. It's not what it used to be. It's obviously it's on its way out. It's the same thing with the old time media. You so know, you think it's, yeah. uh, it, it has a life, but it's dying. Well, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out then, because the internet is where a lot of this, well, almost all of this uh, parapolitical sort of discussion rises, and, and you know, it sort of gave birth to the Occupy thing and all this other, you know, it sort of fosters right. uprising. So it's like, you know, right, 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 it keeps happening. Now. Kind of the frustrating thing about the internet is, is it's trying to get it to pay, though. I mean, if you're a person who writes books, yeah. you know, you can put a lot of effort into that, and then, boom, one afternoon, it's broadcast worldwide, and all the effort that you put into a book is, you know, no longer has any value in terms of getting your rent paid and getting your food to survive until you can write the next book. <laughs> that's harder and harder to do. Yeah. <laughs> that's what the folks listening need to understand. You know, this is a, yeah. a difficult path for for all of us to take who are really trying to produce stuff. You know, it's uh, Yeah, well, and that's difficult. what and you had in your notes something about the, the mobile phones. Yeah. Uh, that the new technology, it, it, no matter how new it is, and, and I, I, I'm fortunate enough to hang out with a lot of uh, late teen, early 20 types who, uh, <laughs> who bring all this stuff in front of me. Yeah, but no matter what the form is, you know, what, what, what pod or pad or, uh, 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 I, I, I'm particularly fond of my nano. You know, I have my whole Dylan collection. Nice. Just, just the officially released albums fit in a little, like, watch band on my wrist. Uh, <laughs> and, it, and it's all marvelous. But what's really, still really drives it all is advertising. Yeah. You know, uh, all of those, those those pads and pods, they've all got commercials running all of the time. And, and you know, and, and the kids are mesmerized by everything they're playing, all the games they're playing and all the music they're listening to. But those ads are popping up all the time. And it's, you know, and it's stimulating them to buy. And, you know. Well, um, you, that, you have some unique perspective then because uh, part of the sort of that thing in the notes was that uh, this was sort of uh, getting on – I. You know, I had you. This is the last interview we had was sort of a jam session. This one's turning into more of an intervention for me, because <laughs> because this is another sort of thing that's been scaring me and creeping me out and bothering me a lot. It's sort of like this. Calm down, Tim. <laughs> is it'll be okay? I'm hoping. I'm hoping. That's why I got you on the show here to help me out. <laughs> Is this, uh, you know, this rise of technology and how people, you know, you go out somewhere, you go out for a cup of coffee or you go out for a beer or something, and, like, people everywhere are, like, just, they're, like, plugged in. They're not, they're not, like, people anymore. They're, like, half people, half, you know, in, in, in the matrix, if you will, for, you know, for... Oh, my God, that is so true. I mean, I can't, I can't talk to any of these young people without them, while they're talking to me, texting somebody else, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and kind of like acting like, you know, you don't even see that they're doing it. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, that is, that's, that's very frustrating. That's very frustrating. But at the same time, it's, uh, it's fascinating, isn't it? You know? And I, you know, if something important is going down, you've got to be able to arrest the situation, you know? If, uh, uh, you know, if there's an emergency happening, you've got to say, put down the phones, we've got to deal with this. Yeah. You know? And the minute we lose that capacity, uh, then the machines <laughs> really do take over. 
Well, that's the weird part. We need yeah, we need the machine yeah. to know what what's happening. <laughs> we need right. the machine to know that something's going down. And it's it's right. I've I've kind of made the point too uh, as this has gone on that it's like I remember when I got into this like uh, about ten years ago like everybody was talking about well not everybody but you know one big meme I guess you could say was the the chip how we're all going to get chipped and they're going to put chips in right. us and stuff and it's like right. at this point do they even I, I I feel like do they even need to because everyone's just carrying around their chip they just put it in a phone and and you know gave. You know, and they've sold it to yeah. people, I think. I really don't think, you know, the idea of having it put under your skin is even necessary anymore because every if you don't have one of those fancy phones, you know. Right, right. Well, you know, you may, I don't know, you may have put your finger on what they will eventually chip. You know, if not, if it's not going to be a subcutaneous injection, maybe it'll be a chip that they attach to one, to these devices. Because there's still the idea of, uh, uh, remember that uh, they were developing something called the Octopus Card. Which was kind of based on the Promise software, which gets back to my Octopus book. Mm-hmm. And the idea of that was that uh, a cop or an authority or something would have a baton that they could just tap you on the butt with, and if your wallet was there and your Octopus card was in it, it read, you know, 80 gazillion gigabytes of information about you, including your credit history, your medical history, and everything else. And, right. Uh, yeah. So you know, maybe that's that's what this is about. I mean, these devices are, are really meant to be kind of point-to-point contact amongst the young people, but, you know, it, they could certainly be wired to include all kinds of... And remember, the promise, the, the whole promise angle is not just tracking capacity, although, they, you know, they have that. The, the Supposedly, part of what promise does is uh, run the Echelon satellites and all that imagery that we get of... Uh, of the streets, you know, the uh, yeah. uh, Google, Google Maps. Earth. Yeah. yeah, a lot of that is, um, is part of the extrapolation property of Promise. It's able to extrapolate and, and put information inside pixels, uh, that, and that's how we get such, such clear pictures. So it's not just really a matter of, of tracking. It's a matter of being able to extrapolate what your next move is you know, yeah. and, and, and intercept it. Well, it's like, you know, I noticed this uh, kind of, this whole idea sort of uh, that we're talking about, you know, it's like, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but like sometimes when the, a crime will happen, they'll be able to track like the uh, the person that did it or people who were in the area from like the cell phone information, you know what I mean? It's like, well, we knew your cell phone was on here in this spot because, and it's just like, again, why do they need, they wouldn't need to chip us anymore because people are just giving that right. information out. Right, well, I, 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 a, a group of kids that I know showed me an app that, uh, Allows them to see where all of their friends are in the mall, and uh, and then when they get when they get closer to their friends, it lights up more, you know, so they know when they're close to their friends. And then if they're walking past, say, a bookstore that's uh, just produced a new discount coupon, that coupon will will appear, and they can, you know, they don't even have to print out the coupon; they just take their little card, and you know, they get together with their their buddies, and they take <laughs> and they take advantage of the of the sale. Weird, yeah. See, that's yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's so strange and like. I heard someone they were gonna they somehow they were gonna have ads that could figure out the gender of someone as they walked over or you walk by them. And you you know tailored ads like that. They already do that on the internet anyway with people like from what you surf on and stuff. So. Yeah, well, I remember when uh, uh, what was the name of the movie? The Enemy of the State. Did you ever see that movie with Will Smith? I may have, but I don't recall it very well. Yeah, it it it, it was all about the satellite imagery that we were just talking about. And this was long enough ago that uh, 
Roger Ebert was still doing film criticism, <laughs> and and he made a point when he wrote a review that this is an exciting movie, but nothing like this would ever happen. You know, <laughs> and you go see the movie now, and it's just as tame compared to what we see going on all around us. Right, right. It's spooky because yeah. you know, like like this whole all the software you're talking about, and everything you know. The, the government can have everything like overlaid. You know, you don't. The government doesn't have to friend request you, folks. Like they can, they can just go in there and stuff. You well, know, so they can. Well, it's, well, it's well scary. The, the Google Earth thing is is a good example. You know, it, it, when you see that imagery on Google Earth, those 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 pictures are taken at various times you know, and, and random. You know, uh, you but you know, but you know, the Pentagon has real time <laughs> capacity. Right. Yeah. Oh boy. So they're probably watching me right now. All over my yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. This is all very <laughs> depressing. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me see if I can find something else that isn't so depressing uh, <laughs> here in my notes. <laughs> well, like I said, I don't think you know. As long as you're able to discuss it um, and uh, you know, throw throw it out in the world of ideas for other people to at least know, you know that. At this moment, in 2012, two guys on the phone somewhere understood what was going on still. There was enough <laughs> human thought left that there were critics, conspiracy critics, parapolitical analysts to uh, remember what it was like to to, to be human. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> is that carrying it too far? <laughs> My goodness. This is dark, folks. <laughs> Oh man! So uh, let me see if I can bring it all around to something uh, uplifting. Well, I talked earlier about how the uh, you know how the paranormal is is sort of uh, uplifting in the sense. Actually, you know what? Let's 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 talk in the paranormal realm. Uh, you know, and this may get depressing, but hey, that's just the way the conversation will go. But what, what do you make of all this 2012 business? You know, all this hype about it. I, I you know I think we're in agreement that nothing. Uh, Nothing is going to happen that, on the level that people uh, seem to think, but it's an interesting sort of thing to be. It's, it's like this weird, uh, you know, hype machine. Right, 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 right. Well, I, as far as the apocalypse is concerned, I, I think Dylan has the best line: uh, "The end of times has just begun." <laughs> you know, and if you bear that in mind, whatever happens at the end of 2012, you know, it may not be some cataclysmic event, but it, you know, it may be the sea change uh, that eventually leads. Either to Armageddon or to the millennium, to you know, to, to greater understanding. Yeah, I tell you what, what what brings me down more so than 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 what we've just been discussing is the uh, what's happening with the space program. You know, they just retired one of the shuttles today. I think the last one. Right, right. Uh, brought it to the Smithsonian, and we we don't have. Uh, uh, you know, Leary was all very excited. You know, he, he remember Leary was very much for uh, space migration. That was this whole thing: space migration, intensification of intelligence, and life extension. You know. Yeah. But then he was happy too when the uh, internet was developing, and you know, he was kind of saw it as a, kind of a remaking of the nervous system of the entire human race. Hmm. And uh, and all that's quite true. But I remember one time uh, uh, watching Tim talk. Uh, oh, by the way, this is one of the things that. Um, that, uh, that I have available at Steam Shovel Press is one of the last times I was with Timothy Leary uh, at, a, at a place called the Cafe Chaos. Okay. We videotaped it and uh, make a DVD of that available at uh, Steam Shovel Press. But his, his point then, and it's a point that I think really needs to be remade, is that uh, he, he was talking about, he, he, he knew a lot of Buddhists, right? Uh, a lot of Zen Buddhists, all of whom were telling him 
this is, you know, that it, it, it's the void, that the world is the void. I don't know if you know anything about the Buddhism is that, you know, this is, that the world is, is Maya, it's illusion, that it's nothing but a void. And you're saying, well, you know, you may be right about that. But let's go out there and see first. Let's go, let's go explore space, you know, let's go see if that's the void too. Yeah. You know, and, uh, uh, that it's a point that 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 I think needs to be made again. That uh, uh, you know maybe maybe the internet was where the future was going for all of us who grew up in the '60s. You know, and 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 this is where it's at. You know, we've got this cyber culture that we're living in. But how about we just take it up a notch? Let's go out. Let's get the space program going and take all of our cyber culture out there and see what it's like out there. You know. Uh, I, that kind of, you know, if anything is lacking, is it's, it's that, that pioneering, uh, idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's I'm moving forward with it all. Um, he said in the, in the lecture, Larry said, uh, he had this discussion once with Buckminster Fuller, who wasn't in the space migration. You know, Buckminster Fuller was another great advanced scientific thinking. His point was, Hey, we're already in space. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, and we do live in a pretty far out world right now. But what the hell, you know? Let's uh, uh, let's not rest on our laurels, you know. Now you're hitting on something that that you know that, that this is like straight from the couch uh, sessions tonight. Uh, yeah, you're hitting on something that 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 always stuck in my craw because I'm from uh, you know I was born in '79, so I never even saw the moon landing or anything. And I'm like, you know, how can we? Can't go back, man. This is this is oh. so frustrating. I don't get it. Why do you think that is? Because there's not enough money to be made in in, in uh, government sponsored space exploration. What moon landing? Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I just I say that in jest. Uh, uh, I don't know. I, you know, particularly considering. Uh, uh, this is probably the most disappointing thing to me about Barack Obama mm-hmm. is that his, his, his total disinterest and antipathy toward uh, of building a, a space program. You know, which you know William Burroughs used to say that's that's one thing that I don't begrudge a penny of. <laughs> uh, and uh, it, you know, uh, I know you know we're still at war in Afghanistan. We're out of. Uh, Iraq now, and we're winding down Afghanistan, and I know we have, you know, a, a, a big deficit and all that kind of thing. It just seems to me that it should be, uh, uh, national priority, uh, to, uh, you know, to be explorers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm very disappointed that, you know, that's, that's not a part of, uh, of who Barack Obama is. Right, right. Well, in a sense, yeah. you know, it's, that goes back even further in a sense, I mean, because they, they do, you know, they went to the moon, and then they scale back all that stuff to do the shuttles, and, and I'm sure they have some, you know, fancy scientific explanation for why that was a better way of doing things and stuff. But it doesn't really make any sense to me, and it doesn't seem to jibe with, you know, what. what well, we you know, it used to, to be a regular fact of the space shuttles that they would announce that there was a secret payload, and in fact, there was a very recent uh, launch um, that they said the same thing: secret payload. You know, they, the the secret space program was kind of announced in, in many cases. Hmm. And it's always been there. And uh, it would not surprise me that we've had, if we've had secret missions to the moon and Mars, you know. Uh, none of that would surprise me. There's always been a big secret element. I don't think I really know everything that um, uh, that goes on with the 
uh, you know, with the, with the enormous size of the black budgets that they have for that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, we almost have uh, to hope that there is. is. Yeah, but I'm just saying it's just as part of American propaganda, part of who, you know, the official government wants to announce uh, to the world that uh, of who we are. Uh, there should be a component of that. That's what's, you know, I mean, Obama invites comparisons all the time to JFK in almost every area except this one. Right. Well, that raises the whole specter of, like, what did they find on the moon and, and that maybe, you know, maybe they strayed too far outside the sandbox and they can't really let us know what they what they encountered. I mean, because it, 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 the behavior, the behavior of the government flies in the face of what you're suggesting, you know, in, in human nature almost. Well, right, and you know, there's, there's, there, there are, the thing is that there are technological levels that they don't want to expose to the world. You know, yeah, uh, that would, that's the whole idea of the whole. That's where the whole moon hoax theory uh, begins. You know, in uh, one of my books, uh, in NASA, NASA's JFK, we got a photograph of Kennedy and von Braun standing next to each other. That uh, von Braun says in his memoir that right after the photograph was taken, an argument gro- broke out between the two of them, and von Braun, a rocket scientist, and the whole the point of the argument was about how what kind of propulsion system are we going to use to get to the moon? And von Braun, as a rocket scientist, of course, is arguing for rockets. And it's never really fully explained, what, what is JFK arguing for? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then when you get into the moon hoax theory stuff, people complain about, you know, when the uh, uh, when the orbiter lifts off the moon's surface, there's never a blast and there's never a blast crater. And I know there are thousands of... Uh, explanations and counter explanations for all this stuff, but uh, well, one of the notions is that there's a propulsion system that's still super secret that we that, that we used in that and and in, in other missions. Hmm. Interesting. And, and and that may be what's behind you know our inability to to uh, to get worked up uh, or to have our uh, leaders want us to be worked up as they were with the space program, you know, and the and the Gemini astronauts and the the right stuff and all that stuff. The reason they don't want that anymore is because, you know, they've got a level of technology that they want to keep covered up. If they want to weaponize space. They want to conquer it. They want to take it over and, you know, claim it in the name of the U.S. kind of, you know, have secret control over it. See, that just goes to show you the imbalance between them and us, you know. They give us little yeah. little uh, smartphones and, and they got the moon bases. <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, but you know the moon bases have Wi-Fi, right? I hope so. Yeah, right. At least. <laughs> well, it makes you wonder, like, how much is enough for these people? If that's if that's even if that's happening, you know what I mean? If, if they if they have that kind of advanced technology to really that that would really excite people and and really you know change the human race, why you know why are they holding it back? It's not fair. <laughs> right, right. Well, they don't want that, you know. Yeah. That that, that didn't work. It didn't work. They got it got out of hand, you know. It produced a leader like JFK, who had to be uh, taken down. Well, I you see know? what you're saying. You know, sort of. Yeah. They don't want someone who can galvanize people. Right. Yeah. They got they got their own agenda. They want to galvanize no people. <laughs> what we got? We got weapons we need to build. You know. Exactly. Keep these people under control. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's the thing, you know. It's like it's like we're talking about this, uh, the technology and the weaponry and everything. It, it, it makes you wonder that are they really just fighting us, you know, not so much other countries and stuff, you know. Well, they, I guess they have the both. It's going on both ends. Right, right, yeah. Well, that's usually the case. You know, I mean, our, our biggest... Uh, 
villains in the last uh, uh, decade or so have been products of our own creation. Um, that you know, Al Qaeda was the descendant of the Mujahideen, which was all built on CIA money. Yeah. And um, did we learn that lesson? You know, are we still doing that? Uh, you know, are there still rebel groups out there that uh, uh, that that we're putting money behind because it seems to serve our foreign interests? I you know I I can't say for sure that we learned that lesson. Yeah. No. The limits of debate in this country are are established before the debate even begins, and everyone else is marginalized. They're made to seem either to be communists or was some sort of disloyal person, a kook. There's a word. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. And now it's conspiracy. See, they've made that something that, that, is, that is, uh, sh should not be even entertained for a minute, that powerful people might get together and have a plan. Doesn't happen. You're a kook. You're a conspiracy buff. And just to freak people out even more, uh, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other night. You know, we were talking about how uh, the United States and all these countries have the nuclear bomb. Isn't it inevitability that one's going to go off? I mean, isn't that the, the old thing that the playwright said? You can't show a ticking bomb without it going off. I mean, isn't it, isn't it inevitable that one of these is going to blow up, like, in the future? Right. Well, particularly because all of them have been out of the, the control of the Central Politburo and, and the Soviet Union for, for all of these many years. Right, right. They're spreading all over the world. All these crazy right. countries are getting them and everything. I mean, it's just an inevitability. Well, well, there are really only two really crazy countries. I mean, everything else is kind of... Uh, uh, under our uh, sphere, uh, strong sphere of influence, yeah. there's, there's just this Korea and uh, and Iran, you know, and um, it, it it does seem to me that uh, the, they're kind of allowing Iran to bring everything to the brink, you know. Uh, years ago, they could have ended what Iran is doing with nuclear weapons with with, with one simple limited nuclear bunker buster bomb. But no, <laughs> right. they're allowing the uh, Islamic bomb to develop there, and that's that's a very you know because maybe we need an enemy, you know, uh, maybe part of what's gone wrong with the world is that we did we haven't had the kind of uh, superpower divide that uh, you know that, that that gave us the competition, that gave us the space race, for instance, and uh, built uh, uh, two or three super military states. You know, because a lot of people think that was a good thing. <laughs> the military state thinks that was a good thing. Right, right. Well, the only thing that could but come... of course... Well, go ahead. Well, of course, Eisenhower warned us against it. Right. You know, the military-industrial complex. And he said, uh, here's what you got. I'm retiring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My guys, yeah. I know. The more you look back on that, it's like a statement of helplessness more than anything. It's like, geez, this guy, he must have realized he, he was way in a, over his head at some point. As, as the doors yeah, are closing. Yeah. Well, you know what's interesting if you if you if you look at that speech, that final speech, uh, 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 and also the Adams for Peace speech, uh, which is a phrase that he took from Wilhelm Reich. He he, he actually is describing Reich in many cases. He talks about the solitary scientist t uh, tinkering in 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 his, his solitude in his own uh, private laboratory, as opposed to you know the teams of government specialists who are contracted with the military <clears throat> you know yeah. the idea of the uh, uh the individual pioneer and and inventor and uh uh a student of in Reich's case student of course of orgone energy uh, uh uh they said that was that was fading and that you know that it's this kind of collectivism uh being done at the 
uh, the behest of, a, of, of an agenda of a, a super military state that's the biggest threat to mankind. Yeah, that's he kind of laid it all out there then. <laughs> that's kind of yeah. what happened. Yeah, thanks, Ike. Yeah, and then, you know, Kennedy fell victim of it, you know, and we've been living in that shadow ever since. Right, right. Well, you don't see any more Teslas anymore or anything like that, you know. No, no. I actually don't. It's interesting. You don't really see a lot of. Uh, uh, the only technology that you see anymore is digital, right? You don't really see a lot of people uh, uh, working in alternative technology areas. Right, right. Uh, you know. Yeah, that's interesting, too, because there's all this talk about how they want to get, you know, alternatives to oil and stuff. But it seems like, you know. Given the collective brain trust of the planet, you're telling me we can't, we can't, we couldn't have figured this out by now? Like, that doesn't seem to make any sense. Well, the idea, of course, is that solar energy is ubiquitous, and therefore you can't put a spigot on it and uh, sell right. it like you can oil. Uh, but, uh, I don't know, in the long run, uh, you, you could, you know, I, why, why can't you have a centralized uh, plant for photovoltaic cells, for instance. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and and create a capitalist monopoly over that technology. Uh, right, right. They're so, too lazy, yeah. I guess, because they already have the <laughs> they already have the infrastructure in place. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I think actually with solar technology, it's more of a question of storage capacity. You know, you you, you can. I'm, I'm having this the problem that problem myself with. Uh, 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 rainwater irrigation. You know, I have uh, some land here that I kind of farm, and I'm trying to install uh, the barrels that it takes to accumulate when it rains to accumulate that rainwater and use it to uh, to irrigate the crops. Nice. Uh, but there's so much of it that you know, you, the you know, the, your first problem in doing something like that is is to deal with the overflow. You know, you fill up your tank and it's, <laughs> it continues to go and come. You know. Can you put a cap on it? Uh, yeah, but there's the, the water is still coming down. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you know, and it's kind of like you know, it's very similar. I think with solar energy, you know, you've you've got it. It's always coming. You know, so the sun's out there every day. It's hitting us with all this you know radiation that it's only up to us to figure out how to use it. You know, uh, but you gotta you know store it for cloudy days and. <clears throat> That kind of thing, and that involves a different kind of technology. Right, right. Now, now you know, God. supposedly Obama's making inroads in uh, developing, uh, and, and the auto industry, uh, with the Volt and things like that, they're in developing snail's pace, <laughs> alternatives, alternatives to oil. Well, you actually, now that, now, now, uh, that brings up a whole other thing that I was going to ask you about uh, when we were talking about the space thing. Yeah, you must be at least kind of enthused about this sort of uh, like privatized space industry that's arising. At least someone's getting behind space travel and everything. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there should be a lot of uh, money in it, you know, and uh, more power uh, uh, to the private developers. Uh, you know, it's really the only way to go. You know, we've still got the, we still faced with all the problems that we grew up with, overpopulation, <laughs> uh, pollution, you know, the, uh, ah, well, the world as we know it, uh, you know, uh, so the, all the resources are, are up in space somewhere, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and that's true. That's true. Yeah. 
Well, you just touched yeah. on another uh, another sort of realm I wanted to ask you about, and that's um, mm-hmm. a conspiracy, I guess you could say, that's beyond uh, the powers that be, if you will, uh, you know, barring, of course, weather manipulation, and that's just sort of like so this whole changing planet idea. I mean, like I said, I live in Boston. We, we, only, we got maybe like a half a foot of snow this year. That's, like, unbelievable. And I know things are, like, cyclical and the weather's sort of its own, uh, you know, mysterious entity, if you will. But, I mean, right, doesn't right. it seem like things are getting weirder and weirder with the weather? Yeah, it does. It does, you know. Those are, of course, of our subjective experiences, and, you know, you have to have to compare that to actual data. That's true. Um, and also, you know, just because that is happening, it doesn't mean it's a, a, it's a man-made product. It could be that the sun is heating up. You know, and there's, there's nothing we can do about it. One way or another, you know, Leary used to always say that these are just signals, you know. They are signals uh, from the environment telling us to migrate. <laughs> <laughs> Where are we going to go? Space? Yeah, yeah, that's the idea. I guess so. Yeah. Well, I... once you've filed your nest so much you can't live with it anymore, you've got to fly away. Well, things would be a lot better if we could, you know, get out there and spread out a little bit. But who knows, with the human race, we need some kind of, like, I don't think we're ready to leave, in a sense, you know. There's this, like, schizophrenic state going on, you know. It's very unfortunate. I'm ready. (laughs) I'm ready. I'll take the next, uh, what did Tim call the high orbital mini-Earths. That's what we needed to create. High or homes, high orbital mini Earths. Oh, that'd be cool. Our own uh, little spheres orbiting the orbiting the Earth. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah, I don't keep keep getting on to this futurism. You know, we're supposed to be discussing what's that (laughs) conspiracy. How do we keep getting on to this futurism business? We're here to discuss conspiracies. (laughs) We we don't want to depress people. We want to let them know there's a way out. It involves these uh, high orbital homes. (laughs) <laughs> so get on that, folks. Yeah, good good luck with that. <laughs> well, it's interesting, too. Uh, you know, you're right about the weather thing. Uh, as you were talking about it, I was thinking about it and um, thinking uh, back to a conversation I had, again, with our friend Greg Bishop. And it's like, you know, these things like these crazy tornadoes and stuff that are happening all the time now, it's like they very likely could have happened way back in the day even, you know, not too far long ago, and people just didn't have... Now you're seeing it so much, you know what I mean? It's like an earthquake in Indonesia happens, and and people are freaking out. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's our subjective experience, and do we, as mere human beings, with our limited lifespan and and our limited capacity to to see and know and experience all, uh, do, do we have enough perspectives that when it seems to us like the earth is heating up, that it really is, you know? We yeah. have to kind of depend on scientists for that. And, of course, that process is all, so, is all corrupt because all the scientists, you know, work for private industry, which has, you know, profits to protect. And so, therefore, they're going to soft-pedal some data and, and, and not others. Right, right. You know? So, yeah, so so again, and that's good. It's a good way to bring this back to the main point is that you've got to – Keep in mind conspiracy, if you want to call it conspiracy. Uh, at, at the very least, a uh, an enlightened, self-interested look at what the self-interest is of the industrial elements that are helping to shape your world. Mm. Yeah, you know that's the, 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 there. There's not, you know, there's no pure science. 
out there. And there are no, even the, the people, you know, even the most, uh, 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 pro, uh, global warming, uh, uh, student uh, scientists, you know, who are, you know, trying to get across the idea that global warming is real and, and happening. You know, they're all working for Al Gore. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Al Gore has a lot of business interests, you know, and, and you've got to factor that in in what these people have to say. One way or another, it's not going to hurt to have a culture that's, you know, mindful of the idea that, uh, uh, we should, we are, like William Burroughs used to say, here to go. <laughs> here to go and you know should have some at least some kind of ethic that uh, uh, pushes us in a direction that just in case you know yeah. just in case all the people that say that global warming is, is in fact happening and we're going to have to leave why don't we just you know create uh, the means to do that just in case we have to and if we don't have to then well we'll just take advantage of it to explore space just you know for the sake of uh, uh, learning and growth <laughs> right right I think these conversations are had by people who have the means to do it, and they just don't include us. You know what I mean? Probably so. That, all right. You know, we're all going to be looking up as they take off in their spaceships one day, and we're going to be like, what, ha- <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah. What happened? <laughs> right. Yeah, we're going to be waving. We'll be the new reality show for all the lucky people who got to leave and go to the moon. <laughs> well, but, you know, there will be drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so we have that to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, that's really, you know, you do have to factor that in. Leary always did, too. You know, it's not just really a matter of physically moving our bodies out into space. It's kind of like uh, being uh, a fish getting into um, iron lungs and, 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 and hopping them up onto the shore. Right, right. You know, uh, you know getting into a, a spacesuit or a spaceship or I'm more of a, it's kind of just like putting on an iron lung and going out into space, you know. That all the developments in uh, biochemistry and in psycho uh, uh, neurological drugs and you know psychedelic drugs and all that you know and all but you know time Leary died it was it it, it was a much more sophisticated thing than it is now actually I I don't really hear so much about you know new newer designer drugs you know it's like it stopped with ecstasy or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, science did not advance, you know. that's uh, We still have the means of altering our, our body chemistry and our uh, brain perceptions, you know. Right. Well, that goes into the whole idea, too, that people talk about someday being able to take your consciousness and, like, put it on a computer. And it's like, I don't know, that's probably not a good idea, but I, I wouldn't choose to do that, <laughs> I don't think. But remember, Leary was going to uh, be frozen, Right and uh, yeah, uh, wait until the technology developed where they could clone his body and uh, reintroduce his his brain into a, a newer, younger body. But then he decided against it because he didn't want to wake up and be surrounded by a bunch of people in lab coats with clipboards. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you know, you can move your 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 even if you could move your consciousness into a machine. Is that really where you want it to be? Right. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, it's like you well, know maybe the you know I was going to ask you you know. It's, it's, we've talked about conspiracy and all this other stuff, you know, and, and, uh, but, but on a spiritual level, it's like, what do you think happens when it's all said and done? Where, where do you think, you know, where do you think you go when you leave this mortal coil? Are you asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you. <laughs> <laughs> You're the parapolitical icon. Come on, give me some insight here. Uh, where do you go when you die? Um, 
I don't know. I, I really think there are perspectives you can achieve where uh, death isn't allowed to enter, you know, where you just, uh, uh, you, where you see the vibration of everything and, uh, in, including the entire narrative of your life from the point when you supposedly get consciousness when you're born to the point where you supposedly lose it, that that whole strip is just a small part of it anyway. Um, so, you know, you can, you can get sanguine about it, but, you know, I'm sure I'm going to feel differently once at the moment of my, of my death. <laughs> I'm dying. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to get all philosophical about it. I really think you can, you know, get a perspective where that, you know, you're already there, you know, uh, past the point of your dying. Terrence McKenna used to say that. Yeah, I remember when Terrence McKenna was uh, dying of uh, uh, brain cancer, you know, and they, people would ask him about it, and he said, well, you know, it's it's different for me. You know, I've been I've been eating mushrooms for years and years, and uh, it just uh, doesn't mean the same thing to me as as you might think it does. Right, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that kind of connects too with like people in the paranormal and sort of field in the sense where it's like the fear of dying is sort of uh, less. I I think, and at least for me it is, and and I hope for a lot of other people in the sense because you know at least I believe that something has to happen. So. And if you're into all this sort of weird and mysterious, it's like, you know, that's exciting. Because, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But you don't want to die, but, you know, at least have that to look forward to. Hey, someday. Right. Well, I mean, it could it could be something very mundane. It could, you know, electrical discharges just could happen to your brain for, for many months after that. And, uh, you know, then eventually you become food for worms. You know, Leary's last words were, uh, actually, why not? Hmm. You know, because he'd, he'd been on his deathbed for a long time, kind of considering the possibility, holding on to being alive. Uh, but then after a while, saying, okay, well, just relax, release, let go, float downstream. <laughs> Interesting. And then, yeah. You're sort of waxing nostalgic a lot about uh, about Leary tonight. You know, it sounds like you guys were pretty close, or at least uh, had a lot of interesting conversations. Well, he shaped my thinking more than anybody. Uh, he and, and, and Burroughs and, uh, and Ginsburg. You, you know, I spent a lot of time with those guys in, in Europa in, uh, in the 80s, in mm-hmm. the early 80s. Uh, did workshops and hung out with and, uh, and Leary, uh, on and off over the, over the years. I, you know, always would show up, uh, where he was lecturing or doing a stand-up gig and any chance I had to hang and talk with him. I don't know why I brought up so much in this conversation, <laughs> except uh, except last night there was, a, was another interview. Somebody, somebody was asking me what is the next book that I want to do after JFK and UFO, and uh, my thought is, and my plan is, and my hope is, if I can find a better publisher than I've had so far, <laughs> is to do a book called JFK and LSD. Mm, interesting. And uh, so this person has, you know, had some knowledge of the history thing. Started and brought up Mary Pinchot Meyer, who was the uh, JFK's last lover, who uh, he took LSD with, and who was also a graduate student, Tim Leary. And Leary and I talked to her about her. And, and, and so, you know, what I know about Mary Meyer would make a good part of this book. So, so I've got it on my mind, really. Yeah. Uh, and 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 also, you know, I've been. Uh, uh, Part of what I've been kind of making available to people, but I've been trying. I, I've been kind of casting about for a, a direction. I, I want to do that book, and I'm, I'm hoping some publisher will come forward and uh, make it possible for me to do that. But if that doesn't happen, I'm still very much interested in making available as inexpensively as possible 
these different materials that I've been working with, including this tape of Leary at the Cafe Chaos uh, with Leary and me. And, and also I've got, uh, here it is somewhere, I, I, I create these things and I forget that I even do them. I've got a little list called uh, Conspiracy Research Resources. Hmm. And it's a list of DVDs that include uh, some of my lectures, some of my television appearances, Maybe I can find the name of that Kevin Nealon show. I'll be damned if I can remember that. Okay, well, I got, you know, my various TV appearances on DVD, things like a lecture uh, or, or, or a 1967 television appearance by Arthur Kessler where he explains the concept of bisociation, which is a very important concept in understanding how uh, conspiracy theory works, where you will see two disparate news stories and cross them and then come come up with a, with kind of a third truth, hmm. and uh, and you know, and I've got a couple of PDF books, uh, you know, essays of some of my adventures in the subculture. Uh, nice. And you know, I, I've got a list like that I want to make available to people and a cafe chaos, and, and just get you know, just get people interested in the whole process of uh, studying what this is all about, and maybe encouraging some people to do work on their own. All right. Yeah. Know, above and beyond trying to get that next book contract with. A bigger, better publisher. <laughs> all right. You've opened up a door here for another question. But for all the folks out there that are pulling their hair out, it's the Conspiracy Zone with Kevin Nealon. That was it, yes. Conspiracy Zone, of course. Yeah. Of course. And the story, actually, now that we got into the story that, that I was telling about it, my appearance on there had to do with Marilyn Monroe, right? Yeah. I'm like the all-purpose conspiracy theorist. They needed a Marilyn Monroe <laughs> guy. So they had they had two panelists. They needed a third one. Uh, one of them was uh, Jonathan Vankin, who was this marvelous writer. He, maybe you know him. Uh, he wrote uh, the, the 50 Greatest Conspiracies of All Time. It rings a bell, yeah. He's, yeah, he, he writes for DC Comics now. He's a great guy. Oh, wow. Uh, he was there, and he was arguing that Marilyn Monroe was killed by the mob. And then there was this actress. Her name was Leanne Walters. Uh, and she was saying that Marilyn had committed suicide. Uh, and, and she was just a big fan. She wanted to be a Marilyn Monroe. And then there was me. And I came on and I said that Marilyn was killed by MJ-12. Oh, wow. <laughs> and and it was because she was talking about uh, JFK taking her out to the to Area 51 to see the alien bodies. <laughs> and I produced this document. There's a thing called the Spiriglio document. It says precisely that. It's a transcript of pillow talk uh, between RFK and Marilyn Monroe. Uh, which she says that his brother had taken her out to the desert base to see the things from outer space. And the date on it is the day right before she was killed. So I had probably the wackiest theory out there about how Marilyn Monroe died, but I was the only person who brought any documentation. <laughs> oh, man. Well, yeah, that's that's what separates you from... Uh... You know, that's what, that's what, again, that's what makes you a parapolitical icon, folks. That, that's right there. That, and that's a good sort of jumping off point, I guess, is like, you talk about sort of like resources and stuff for people, you know, and how you got into all this and, and, you know, discovered May Brussels. And I'm sure there's people that have got into this and discovered you. I mean, maybe you've been asked this before, but, uh, you haven't been asked it by me and, and on this show, so it'd be a good chance to sort of get this on the record. Uh, you know, okay. what's your advice, I guess, for the next generation of people into this parapolitics thing? Where, where, where should they go? What should they do? <laughs> okay, look up, look up. You know, uh, that's whenever I'm with the, you know these these kids that I hang out with, and, and, and really, you know, I 
I have this wonderful little house here, and uh, my son lives with me, and his friends come, and he's, you know, he's a party animal, and I, I get to, to talk to a lot of 18, 19, and 20-year-old uh, uh, kids, yeah. young men and women, and uh, and when I'm talking to them, they're doing, you know, they get the same effect that we just talked about. Half the time, their face is in a screen somewhere, <laughs> and, 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 and that's a good place to be, you know, because, you know, you're, 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 you're in cyberspace, you're on the internet, there's information there, but you got to look up and you got to look at the world and, and talk to real people. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, uh, and, and see what's important to them and then go back to the screen and see what, where authorities are failing them and uh, where crimes have been committed and, you know, or assassination and corruption and and, 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 and and perversion and bad things that are, you know, creating a, uh, a, a not-so-good environment uh, uh, for the actual people around you and not the machines. Remember, it's all about the people <laughs> yeah, and, and not just the machines. That and read my books. <laughs> And if you're on the machine, read my website. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, that's interesting, too, because it goes back. You say, look up. And it, it's interesting. That can be applied not just to the, the newcomers, I guess, to, to the world of parapolitics, but in a lot of ways to a lot of people in parapolitics, because it seems like there's – and you said earlier, you know, it, it makes sense that the government or the powers that be, let's say, uh, they would be interested in the dissidents. They would want to know what the dissidents were doing. And it's conversely interesting in a lot of ways that the dissidents don't, this is like a repudiation of the mainstream almost, you know. Like I've heard people in the conspiracy realm who are like, I don't watch the Super Bowl. And it's like, you don't watch the Super Bowl? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, you know. You know, you gotta, where's your humanity? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? It, uh, yeah, that's a, yeah. It's like you can't get a really, you know, it's it's like I feel like the in a lot of ways the the conspiracy researchers almost, you know, the the ones who claim to be super ardent are are, are you know, have blinders on in a sense where they they see just the reality, the undercurrent. They don't really sort of put the whole picture together in a way. Right, right. Well, yeah, one major thing to say to everybody, lighten up. <laughs> lighten up, you know. Uh in addition to how heavy all this stuff is and, and, and dark and all this other stuff, you are a human being kind of stuck in the absurd situation where you have to deal with it. Right. And that's funny, you know? I mean, to, to the point that it doesn't crush you <laughs> or kill you, uh, it's it's funny. And, and your job is to escape it, you know, find some humorous way uh, to, to get back into reality, you know, where you can enjoy the Super Bowl, you know? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we're on the same page there for sure. Yeah, and in the in, in our in our you know pre-show uh, conversation, uh, you mentioned Phyllis Benjamin, the head of the Info Fortean Group, who recently passed away, and then you kind of want to talk a little bit about her. So uh, you know, let's. I don't want to. I don't want the time to go by here without getting that into the program. So talk about her. And, you know, that's go ahead. yeah, that is very interesting that you brought that up. Phyllis just died. Yeah, Phyllis was a very important woman. Uh, she was uh, uh, one of the heads uh, of uh, Info. Which was I don't I don't really know what the anagram stands for, but it was the Fortean group, you know Charles Fort, the paranormalist mm -hmm. uh, of, of basically of the East Coast, and uh, Phyllis. Uh, I did a couple of lectures for that group. Um, very interesting that you bring bring that up now too, because I was about to say in in our discussion about uh, uh, what to tell young people. Um, 
one time Phyllis uh, set me up to do a lecture uh, on a Caribbean cruise. Oh, nice. And uh, it, it was a fun little adventure, actually. I was... Uh, uh, I, I got uh, off the ship. We went to several different countries, and we got off the ship. Uh, I was with uh, Skyler Alphabet, mm-hmm. and we got lost in Costa Rica. The ship took off without us. So we had oh, no. <laughs> and uh, and Skyler and Phyllis were actually very, very good friends. Um, uh, Skyler, if your listeners don't know, Skyler is one of the great 14s herself. She runs a, a, a website called LoFi, L-O-W-F-I. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and that's all, that's the West Coast, uh, 14 group, uh, uh, paranormalist stuff. I've, I've done editorials there, um, and just, just a, a tremendous thing. And shortly after that happened, actually, uh, it, when I came home, you know, kind of several weeks after, uh, maybe several months after, I was out on my back deck and I fell asleep on, in, in a lawn chair on my back deck. And I had a dream. That seemed as if it lasted for 40 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, it was one of the most amazing things. I, I connected, yeah, I, I, I anchored this in time because I know it was shortly after the Costa Rica adventure. A 40 year dream is not an experience a 20 year old guy can have or a girl can have, you know? Yeah. It's a different thing altogether. And actually, the quality of my dreaming ever since that time has been. Kind of like you know the LSD I used to take. You know, of course I've spent summers on, on, on LSD, and there's, <laughs> and there's this you know, it's it's not a hallucination. It's a dream, but it, and just like LSD, it's not a hallucination. It's reality. There's something very depthful of that, and and I I kind of owe that really fanta- profoundly fantastic experience to Phyllis Benjamin. Uh, you know, um, yeah. and, wow. and, and it's, and it's a, and it's a great loss. And I don't know if anybody is really set up to kind of take her place, you know, and if we don't have a 14 group on the East Coast and, and all we have is Skyler, who's, you know, struggling to stay alive in LA, uh, on the West Coast, paranormalism, the study of, of the paranormal is taking a major hit. With the death of Phyllis Benjamin, you know. Yeah. Um. And 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 uh, you know, in addition to the fact that I feel like I've lost a friend and that hurts, uh, I am fearful in just the same way I was when I originally started Steam Shovel Press when Mae Russell died, and uh, uh, and I guess maybe this is what I'm fearful of because after that happened, Mae Russell died, and uh, there was a there was a magazine called Critique that was, you know, it was a great conspiracy magazine. I was a great consumer of conspiracy literature. And Critique, the founder of that, joined a cult and turned oh, the magazine into the homilies of his guru. And all the conspiracy culture was falling apart as far as I could see. Uh, and that's why I started Steam Shovel Press in the first place. And and Phyllis Benjamin's death is kind of like that, you know. And maybe what I'm really fearful is <laughs> that I'm going to have to go on, you know, create a whole other career uh, trying to make sure that uh, the study of the paranormal doesn't disappear off the planet. Right. Hoping that there's a, uh, and, and you know, uh, there are other 14s out there, and I hope people, you know, kind of step in. Nobody's going to replace Phyllis. Nobody's going to fill that gap uh, uh, personally. But, you know, I, I hope more and more people understand what was lost when she passed away. Well, I think they do now, having, uh, you know, just heard yeah. this, so... Well, it's interesting. You know, you talk about Foyan and everything and the paranormal, and it's like things have gotten, uh, you know, I mean, maybe they've always been this way, but, like, it seems like even more now things are so specialized 
it's like Bigfoot people don't like UFO people, and they, right. I'm sure you've seen how ardent the conspiracy community is about UFOs. It's like, I, I mean, I was oh, warned right. off air by a 9-11 researcher, like, get out of UFOs. It's a waste of your time. Stick with 9-11. Right. I recently heard uh, Alex Jones say the same thing. I'm sorry, I'm just ordering to go up hose. And he's like putting down Bill Cooper. <laughs> and uh, and actually, I was uh, this is my last communication with Greg Bishop. Actually, is when when that happened, I was trying to remember a line by the great comedian Bill Hicks. Do you know Bill Hicks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And Greg's a big fan. I was trying to. I wrote to Greg saying, "Do you remember this line?" And I wish I had it handy. I could tell you, but it's all about the angry man. And, uh, the conspiracy researchers like Alex Jones, uh, you know, who, uh, uh, uh who have rage issues, uh, clearly, and how this meets a demographic, you know, and it's, it's, it's like some executive saying, hey, Bill's doing a great thing. We've done research on, uh, that angry young man thing. A lot of people carry that kind of, uh, bitterness around with them. It's a great market. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was my response to, uh, Alex Jones looking down his nose, uh, to uh, UFO people, yeah, or anybody out there who's uh, uh, toiling in the uh, in these uh, 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 subjects, uh, you know, trying to think that they're better than somebody else. You should understand that, you know, that other person you might even be better than that person. Who knows? Lucky you. But that uh, these, you know, you know that the extent to which there are are people out there making honest efforts to uh, uh, understand. Uh, UFO incident they saw, or to expose something that they think is, uh, you know, corrupt. Uh, that that energy is is a positive one, and it belongs to everybody. And there's no cause to try to condescend and to think that you're better than than that. I mean, that's it's the most basic thing we do. Right, right. It's disappointing. It's a, you, yeah, you yeah. you hit the nail on the head because it's like that doesn't mean that their intents aren't. That their intentions aren't pure to get to the bottom of something, at least, you know, give them credit for trying to get to the bottom of something, even if it's not yeah. something you wish to get to the bottom of. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and let me say, too, that I admire Alex Jones. And yeah. Actually, my point, the, the point I was making to who I was talking, I was talking to Len Bracken about this. Len Bracken, the, uh, who wrote The Shadow Government, uh, uh, uh and, uh, The Arch Conspirator, the, uh, DC guys, uh, Anyway, he, he's the one who pointed out to me many years ago that Alex Jones actually appears in A Waking Life. Yeah. Have you heard of that movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's, he's there in his, I don't know, a little Volkswagen or something with his, with his megaphone, you know, screaming out to the world about the apocalypse that he sees. And now, of course, he's a very famous guy and he's making a lot of money and he's, you know, he doesn't got that megaphone. Well, he's got a megaphone with him, but it's, you know, he's not driving down the street with it. And, uh, uh, he's actually turned his approach to conspiracy things into a successful business model. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But I remember when he was really just a cartoon, uh, and, and a little guy, uh, and, and, and that, and that's cool. Uh, but for him to, Attack somebody like Bill Cooper, who is long dead, who whatever you can say good or bad about Cooper, it's over. You know, there's no arguing with him about it anymore. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's, and he corralled that same dark energy for, uh, you know, a life of a, of, of a dissident, whether you, you know, agreed with him or believed in him or, or whatever. It was, uh, it was his life and he, he, he played it his way. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to put him down. 
Right. <laughs> and I, I'm shocked that Alex Jones would, you know, why he would think that's important. Yeah. And then on top of all that, saying, oh, and I don't, you know, deal with UFOs either. <laughs> um, I did want to ask you about Jerry E. Smith, because uh, uh, we, we had tried to connect a while ago, uh, and you were traveling, and you were going to give a little memorial or something for, for Jerry, and just wanted to mention Jerry, because he was on the show a couple times, right. and, you know, I'm sure you have right. insights into him. Jerry, yeah, Jerry, I went to Bath, England, actually, to uh, uh, to give a lecture and to uh, and I brought with me a uh, video of Jerry because Jerry was actually supposed to uh, attend this this lecture and uh, when he died of pancreatic cancer, uh, he, the only way to finish that job was to to bring video of him and then to do a tribute and and actually uh, years before that uh, Jerry and I basically did the same thing for Jim Keith. Yeah. At, uh, at, at, at maybe one of the Laughlin conferences. And there was a Jim Keith tribute. And, and we both, you know, we brought some Jim Keith footage and we, we talked about him. And I did the same thing for Jerry. Jerry and I, you know, uh, we weren't as close as, as Jim and I, you know, uh, big Jim Keith and I were partners. You yeah. know, we wrote the octopus together. And, and Jim, uh, he was a, you know, walked with a swagger, was a sarcastic bastard and, uh, a humorous guy. He just really got things and, uh, really understood the whole scene that we were in, uh, creating these conspiracy zines and, and, and kind of trying to whip up, uh, interest and, in, in that kind of thing. And Jerry was his friend. And the guy who, who we went to high school with. And Jerry was a completely different person at all. I mean, Jerry was very, and you have to put it down, uh, but he was short. And, yeah. Know, big Jim was big. And Jerry was a bit of a nerd. I mean, and he would confess to that. And if you read his books, they're really very particularized kind of nerdish documentation of things like the Harp Array and uh, uh, the uh, the Holy Lance, uh, Hitler's Holy Lance, and, and these kinds of things. And, uh, and if you talk to Jerry, you really got a much different vibe, you know. Uh, yeah. Not a bad one. And not a bad one, but not exactly the the same thing that, that Jim put out there. And I valued his friendship. And he was a funny guy. And I and, and I hung out with him. He worked and at the end there. He was working for David Childress up in Kempton, Illinois. Childress, you know Childress. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Adventures of the Press. And Jerry was working in, in his operation up there in Kempton, and and that's not too far from here. And uh, and David does conferences there, and I'd go out and lecture, and I'd be able to hang with Jerry and. Uh, Seems to me also that Jerry and I were in England, we're in Liverpool at a conference together once too, and uh, I really enjoyed his company. And I was very sad that uh, 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 that he was taken so quickly and in such a prosaic way, you know, pancreatic cancer. Yeah. yeah. And uh, happy that I had the opportunity at that conference in Bath, England, to uh, uh, to do that kind of send off. Yeah. Uh, but also, I don't want people to forget him either. His books are great, you know. If you oh, find out about the Harbor Ray. Get Jerry's book, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, or get his lectures, you know, and and the best way to do that, to touch base with what Jerry was all about, is is through Childress and the Adventures Unlimited catalog. Mm-hmm. Childress has, I think, Childress will have published uh, most, if not all, of Jerry's books. You talked about you know going over to Bath and uh, Liverpool and Costa Rica and stuff, and it seems like you you've had quite the you know the experience of traveling around all these things, and and you know. Oh, and over the years, you know, Burroughs, Burroughs used to say, Burroughs used to say, it is not necessary to live, but it is necessary to travel. There you go, yeah. 
I guess give, give, I don't know, give me some perspective, if you will, like on how this is all going to these events has changed over the years and, you know, have they gotten weirder or, or more angry or, you know, uh, more paranormal or less paranormal or, you know, just more fun or uh, well, less actually, fun or what? <laughs> well, they're, they're harder to come by. Uh, what, what often happens is that somebody will get into a car accident and get a settlement. And they have all this money, and they always wanted to put together a conference like this. This is what happened to me in Atlanta, yeah. uh, just like last year. And and they don't know what they're doing, you know. And they make every mistake in the book, and they have a miserable time, and they swear off ever doing it again. <clears throat> That's one one way to do it. There are others who are pillars of uh, this kind of conferencing. There's a there's a regular conspiracy conference in uh, uh, in Santa Clara every year and there's the Laughlin conferences and all this other stuff and they're always there and you can uh you know uh touch base with them and and I used to go to to London all the time because uh Paul Stevaking and Bob Ricard were running the 14 times over there yeah. and they liked my stuff and they would have me over uh then when they retired you know they still do the conference over there the Uncon but they're kind of you know they're driving people in from the English countryside you know they don't uh, you know, fly me in, and, and and this is what I see in some of these other conferences. Uh, they've learned how to scale back. Yeah. Uh, so you know, it's it's fewer and farther between. Uh, when I get a chance to to go to these these conferences, and I'm you know, and I'm getting older too, so I, I don't mind it so much. Um, I've gone through many weeks where you know I've uh, missed flights and <laughs> kind of go from one conference to another. Yeah, really, at, at different times it's been like. Like, like living like a rock star or something. Uh, and I don't <clears throat> cherish that too much. But uh, I do think it's important that somebody like me is out there trying to take advantage of every uh, uh, kind of conference there is. And, and that's hard to do. It's hard, it's hard to, to know because there's, there's no coordination. And I've, I've said many times that if there was w- one enterprising person out there who could understand that there's a large interest in parapolitics and conspiracy stuff in every major city in this country. And you could create a lecture circuit. You could make, actually, you could make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, uh, you create a whole entertainment industry if you wanted to do that. So that's kind of what's, but nobody's doing that, you know. And so, uh, and also wax and wanes with administrations, you know. The paranoia was way up under Bush, for instance, you know. Right. And uh, there's kind of a little chilled now under Obama. You know, we got things like the birther controversy, <laughs> you know, nonsensical yeah. stuff. Uh, a lot of co-optation of uh, genuine uh, interest in parapolitics by things like the Tea Party. Yeah, exactly. You know, turning it into, you know, a populist right-wing anger. Good market for that. <laughs> right, right. And then you had the Occupy thing that swung it around the other way. It was like almost right, a little right. shady the way they both sort of mirrored each other. Yeah, yeah. Well, anytime anybody wants to try to turn it into a movement, you know, yeah, uh, you want to you want to pull back a little bit. So, so that's what's different, you know. Uh, and anybody here hearing these words, uh, try to understand what I just said. That there is. A large, healthy interest in the kind of thing uh, in parapolitics and conspiracy theory, and you can be a legitimate business person by creating and promoting uh, conferences that exploit that 
It's not a bad thing. And uh, you should look into it and give me a call. Contact me at steamshowpress.com. There you go. And then after that, call me. I'll go to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me and Tim. We'll, we'll do this show together. Now, uh, this, I, I, one more thing came up. This is kind of a silly question. Maybe not. Uh, and just having talked about all these experiences, you know, your friendship with Timothy Leary and hanging out with those guys and traveling all over the world and stuff, ever thought about sitting down and writing, like, a memoir, like your story? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd do it in a second, if, you know, if I if I could find a decent uh, publisher. Uh, you know, I, I shouldn't shouldn't say anything bad. My current publisher, Feral House, is my old friend, Adam Parfrey, who is a genius and one of the great men publishing gods of the century. Uh, Feral House is, is, a, is, a, is a fantastic achievement. I mean, kissed Adam's ass that much. Uh, I should say, on the other hand, that, you know, he just produced a, a catalog of his books and they, he didn't list mine. For oh, some man, reason. that sucks. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and still, he's a, he's a marginals publisher. Uh, you know, and all of my, my books have been part of the marginals press. I've never had a, a, a crossover mainstream success. Although, there was uh, some talk of... Uh, uh, there was actually some movie interest, or not movie interest, uh, cable television show series, television series interest in doing the octopus. Oh wow! For one of the cable channels and uh, a Hollywood thing, though it's just been talk. Maybe it'll go somewhere, but um, that'll be cool. Uh, it, you know, it's uh, harder and harder to commit the resources uh, to it when it when it makes so little money and. Uh, uh, you know, I, I have a day job. I still work as an archivist, and uh, and that takes a lot of devotion and time. And uh, I've got my my planting to do, <laughs> and uh, and it's uh, it's a struggle to get back to the desk and take care of everything. I mean, that's part of the reason why I kind of canceled three times with you in this interview. It's just hard to get back, harder and harder to get back to it all if it doesn't. Uh, 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 if it doesn't present itself as being more important uh, it, than something that might pay my bills. <laughs> exactly, yeah. No, I know. The but deal. I will do it. You know, if it slows down to a trickle, I'll still be here doing it. Uh, I just I, I just know that it can be, uh, it can be done better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I would give some thought to the memoir idea, even if it's just something you tinker away at. I think it would be something people would really love, uh, you know. Well, well you know, my future. books... Yeah, my, my books, some of my books, like Parapolitics, and uh, I've, I've got popular Parapolitics, which is just a PDF. I, I've written essays about the various subcultures that I've been able to visit mm. and be a part of. So there are there is some right, right. Uh, documentation, some kind of a memoir. But, yeah, it's an interesting idea to just kind of uh, go over my own biography and uh, career and see. I think it would be awesome. kind of narrative I could come up with. <laughs> I think it would be great. It, it, it would amuse me anyway. <laughs> That's all the reason you need, then. <laughs> That's it. Well, beyond that, uh, we teased uh, earlier uh, what was next for you. Any specific sort of uh, speaking engagements this summer? Let's let, I keep it to that because I don't know when the hell this is going to air. Uh, so, uh, you know, anything coming up this summer you want to plug or uh, books or any, uh, any, any anything you want to mention? Okay, well, I, I'm still, my main thing I'm plugging, and it's very interesting. What's wonderful about this interview, Tim, is it's been so informal. It's been about all kinds of things I don't really get to talk about too often. Mostly I'm focused on the new book, JFK and uh, and uh, UFO. Right. Uh, so I'm still promoting that. Uh, you know, I continue to do that. Uh, and the only conference uh, 
the the weird wheelchair people in England want to have me out, but I'm not quite sure when. Uh, at the earliest, uh, that'll be in the fall. Uh, Childress is talking about uh, doing a conference in June, okay. but he hasn't confirmed that either. So uh, other than that, like I said, it's uh, kind of few and, and far between. Um, I have a return visit to Atlanta, but that's uh, leftover business with a girl. <laughs> There's no conference there. Uh, uh, so people can't other attend than that. that I, I'd like to encourage your listeners, if if there are individual people that know of uh, uh, bookstores that want to have me come out and do a lecture, uh, I do have something set up, or I, I have a discussion going on with a guy... Uh, this, I mentioned this Cafe Chaos uh, tape uh, that goes back uh, to, I think it's 1992 or so, or maybe 94, 90, it must be 92, last time I saw Leary. Uh, he was in town, and the guy that, that brought him to town has got a bookstore now, and we've been talking about me doing uh, a reading uh, that would be here locally in St. Louis. But that's, that's not hardwired yet either, so okay. it's really still kind of early. Uh, one way to find out what I'm doing simply is to go to steamshovelpress.com. Mm-hmm. Also, Steam Shovel Press is on Facebook. Uh, wow. So as, as much as I hate Facebook, and, and it, you know, and I don't do much more than, you know, post an occasional, you know, this radio interview is appearing here kind of a thing, but uh, I don't, I don't, you know, post the pictures of cute kitties and, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and little, you know, happy quotations from Albert Einstein or whatever, you know, people <laughs> do on those things. But uh, you can reach me that way. And you can reach me through, if you go to steamshowpress.com, you'll see the uh, the Gmail account. So you can reach me via email right at the top of the page. Do you want to reach me directly? Awesome, awesome. All right, yeah, so folks, check out Steam Shovel Press and, uh, you know, for the billions on Facebook, go over there and uh, befriend them as well and be sure to check that stuff out. <laughs> Hopefully someday soon uh, our paths will cross. This has been an amazing conversation. I mean, just an instant classic edition of this program. I cannot wait to put it into the earbuds of uh, the listeners. It's been so enjoyable, <laughs> and, you know, I just I, I can't put it over enough. It's been Really a joy to talk to you. As I said uh, throughout the conversation, I, I'm you know I'm hanging perilously by my fingertips in this in this conspiracy thing, and you you've helped me out so much and, and really given me pause and and sort of uh, worked through all these issues <laughs> in, well, in two thank, hours. Thank so. you, thank you. It's been quite therapeutic for me. Like I said, it's a, it's a different kind of interview than than I've been able to do, and it's just it's wonderful to be able to unload uh, and uh, talk to somebody one on one like this instead of. Uh, the lecture that I have prepared about Fred Crisman and the Maury Island grade and all that stuff. So thank you. Thank you. It's a, it's a great pleasure and great fun. So, uh, well, I need to come out to Boston sometime. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, you know, hopefully someday soon we can all, uh, convene here on the East coast for something fun. Uh, you know, stay tuned folks. And, uh, thanks again, Ken. I really appreciate it. And, uh, hopefully this is just number two in in a series of many, many great conversations between us. Okay, thank you, Tim. It's been great fun. That does it for this edition of BOA Audio Season 7. Big, big thanks to Ken Thomas for coming back on the show and giving us so much time. You can find out more from him at www.steamshovelpress.com. Pretty simple, all one word, steamshovelpress.com. Check it out. 
Moving right along now, it's time for BOA audio listener feedback. And we're going to do some shorties here this week on the program so we can hurry up and get the episode out to folks in time to enjoy it over their 4th of July holiday. The first email comes from Carrie, no hometown listed. Here's what she has to say. Huge fan of the show and your laugh. It's totally infectious. I always laugh when I hear you laugh. Was wondering if I could put in a request for a show with David Polides. He wrote Missing 411, which I'm sure you've heard of by now. Creepy, weird, weird stuff. Anywho, I am sure that this is probably one of the thousands of emails you receive. So thanks for reading. Carrie, no hometown listed. Thank you for writing in, Carrie. First of all, thank you for putting over my laugh. And if you are laughing when I laugh on the show, you must have laughed quite a bit over the last couple of hours. Because I think this edition here with Ken Thomas probably had the most laughs per segment of any show we've done here on the program. It was quite the uh, chuckle fest, if you will. With regards to David Polides, Carrie, you are actually the second person to recommend David Polides for the program. A guy named Jim wrote in requesting that we get David Polides on the show as well, right about the same time you did, which is kind of interesting. Luckily, I am pretty well informed on the work of David Polides. I've heard both of his coast-to-coast appearances and found them to be thrilling. So he is definitely somebody that I've got on my radar and is at the top of the list of people that I would like to talk to. I can't give you any sort of definitive date or anything solid like that because I'd like to read both editions of Missing 411. I know there's one for the Eastern United States as well as one for the Western United States, and they're both pretty massive books. But I'm dying to dive into those, and once I've done so, I am really excited about talking to David Polides. So, of course, provided that he'll come on the program... He is definitely somebody that I want to talk to and have on the show because this missing 411 stuff is tremendous and something that has had me captivated over the last few months. Next couple of posts here come from the Banal of America Facebook page. First one here is from Big Lou. He says, just finished Gerard Williams' episode. Wow, it seems lately that nothing is the way we were taught. Nothing. And then Paolo says, I listened to Gerard Williams' brilliant episode today. Whilst not my usual paranormal subject, it was one of the most enjoyable episodes yet. Thank you to all involved. I don't have much to say about that, but just thanks to Big Lou and Paolo for liking BOA on Facebook and posting their thoughts on the episode at the Facebook page. It's always good to get feedback, even if it's just straight-up praise. That makes me feel good, obviously. I appreciate that. Constructive criticism is something that I also appreciate. Any time you hear from the listeners is always good. The worst thing you can have is an episode that goes out there into the ether, and then you never hear anything from anybody about it. And that's happened a few times in the past, but thankfully that doesn't seem to be the case with the most recent episodes of the program. So thank you to Big Lou and Paolo for registering your thoughts on the Gerard Williams episode. Rest assured we will be bringing 
Gerard back on the program in the future as he continues to do his groundbreaking work looking at the Adolf Hitler conspiracy. Final email comes from Scott. No hometown listed. Here's what he has to say. I wanted to email you a simple thank you. Your show, podcast, is the best thing going for ufology, paranormal topics. I appreciate your candor and the fact that you aren't spending the entire show pimping the guest books. You give us real interviews and real information, and I really appreciate this. I stumbled upon your podcasts on iTunes about six months ago, and can proudly say that I have listened to all 200 shows, and have referred many of my friends to the program as well. Anyway, thank you again for what you do. It is appreciated. Scott, no hometown listed. This is just a love fest here at the end of the show this week. Uh, thank you for writing in, Scott. I can't say it's coincidence, because I picked the email, so it wasn't planned that way. It's just I picked the most interesting one sort of that popped up. Scott, kudos to you for listening to all 200 programs. Congrats to you. You are part of the Double Century Club at this point, my friend. I always find it interesting how people find the program. Apparently, Scott says he just stumbled upon the podcast on iTunes about six months ago. That's so interesting how people find the show, because I really don't go out of my way to over-promote the program. I try not to really go crazy spamming message boards and spamming people about the show, because that drives me nuts when I see other people doing it. So I try to avoid doing it altogether. And at this point in the program, it's seven years now. I really don't need to sort of try and make a name for myself anymore. Now I just try to produce the best content I can, and I have a feeling that people will find it. Even if they don't find it the very week that we post the episode, they're going to find it in the future and then dig deeper into the archive. For instance, here it is, July 4th, 2012, and I'm sure someone out there is listening to this program around 2014, and they're looking back and saying, wow, there's tons of stuff in this guy's archive. I can't wait to find more and more stuff here in the BOA Audio Archive. So I like to think of the program as fairly timeless and standalone. And with that, we will close up the BOA Audio Listener Feedback Mailbag. Thanks to Scott, Paolo, Big Lou, and Kerry for writing in on BOA Audio Listener Feedback. Also thanks to Jim for sending his David Polides guest suggestion as well. Didn't get a chance to read his email, but wanted to mention him here at the end of the show. If you would like to be a part of future installments of BOA Audio Listener Feedback or simply would like to get in touch with me with your thoughts on the program, there are a number of ways to do it. You can write to boaaudio at hotmail.com or head on over to banalofamerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L, ofamerica.com and click the contact button. And, of course, the final method is to join up at the official BOA forum, theusofe.com, T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E.com. It is BOA's paranormal playground, lots of fun discussion going on there with regards to the world of the esoteric, as well as pop culture and weird current events. Head on over to the BOA forum and join in on the fun. And, of course, I would be remiss if I did not mention that I can be found on Facebook and Twitter. Just punch in Benal, B-I-N-N-A-L-L, 
and my profile should pop right up. Feel free to befriend me, follow me, or poke me. It's all good, and I'd be happy to have you as part of my online circle of friends. Lastly, amongst all of the methods of correspondence is Banal of America's presence on Facebook. Just punch in Banal of America or go to my profile. There's linkage right there. Find us on Facebook and like us, please. I think we're up to 747 at this point. And maybe as we get closer to 1,000, we'll do some kind of contest. Although I'm afraid people just unlike us and then like us again to try and get to the 1,000 mark. But we'll figure it out as we get closer. Maybe at the 800 mark, I'll surprise somebody with a uh, prize of some sort. But anyway, find us on Facebook, Banal of America, and please like us. I'm going to try and put more new, fresh content on there for the folks who have done so already. Up next, please allow me to thank the outstanding and esteemed BOA staff, Leslie, Chiron, Regan Lee, Joe V, Tina Senna, Richard Thomas, Marla Pena, Bruce Pretty, Tony Morrill, and our webmaster, Jeremy Boston. Since the last time you heard from me, we've got an all-new Trickster's Realm from Regan Lee, posted at BOA, titled Two Family Ghost Stories, where Regan shares a couple of very spooky tales of hauntings that have happened to members of her family. Head on over to BOA to check that out. And we've got an all-new Shadow of the Shinigami from Marla Pena, as well as a few other great columns in the pipeline from the BOA staff. We say it week in and week out, my friends, but it is the truth. If you're only listening to BOA audio and you're not reading the columns at Benall of America, then you're only getting half the story. BOA, make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. Now comes the time in the program where I take my hat off and pass it around to the BOA audio listeners, the hardcore listeners, the folks who stick around to the very end, the ones who very likely are part of the Double Century Club and have listened to all 200-plus episodes of the program and ask you to help the BOA franchise by making a donation. How do you do that? That is simple. You head on over to banalofamerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com, and click the PayPal button. They'll walk you through the process. It's safe, secure, and simple. If you don't trust the Internet and you want to donate via snail mail, you can do so by sending your donation to Tim Banal, P.O. Box 232, Pinehurst, Mass., 01866. And you spell Pinehurst, P-I-N-E-H-U-R-S-T. You can find the complete address at Banal of America. And, of course, as we mention all the time here, if you're mailing a donation, please make it payable to Tim Banal and not Banal of America, because my bank is anal and they will not cash those donations. And please include some means for correspondence so I can reach out to you and thank you for your donation. As always, no donation is too small, and all donations go towards Banal of America and BOA Audio to help keep the entire franchise up and running, freely available, and commercial-free for all of our great readers and listeners the world over. Next time on BOA Audio, we are going crypto once again as we explore one of the most infamous Bigfoot flaps in American history with author Lyle Blackburn, 
who's penned the new book, The Beast of Boggy Creek. Fascinating stuff. Looks at the Falk monster that was the quote-unquote star of the film, The Beast of Boggy Creek. But there's so much more to that story, which Lyle has uncovered. Many people think that it was all just a product of the film, but the folk monster has quite the legacy that goes above and beyond the film. So we're going to hear about the sightings of the monster that predate the film and how they informed the making of the film. We'll talk about the movie and then the aftermath of the movie and how it affected the region. That's pretty much the gist of the episode. It's quite the addition of the program and another foray into both historical esoterica as well as the unsung strange stories that just don't get the press they deserve. Kudos to Lyle Blackburn for resurrecting the folk monster, and we're going to put it on display next time on BOA Audio as we discuss the Beast of Boggy Creek. And on that note, we close the book on this edition of the program. Big, big thanks once again to Ken Thomas. Thanks to Kerry, Big Lou, Paolo, and Scott for their contributions on BOA Audio Listener Feedback. And, of course, enormous thanks to the hardcore BOA Audio Listeners, the folks who are sticking around here to the very end. If you are in America, I hope you had a fantastic 4th of July. If you're from another part of the world... Thank you for listening to BOA Audio. I appreciate your support wherever you may be. You are truly the fuel that drives the BOA mothership. Thank you for making BOA Audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim Benall, thanking you for listening and signing off.